get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Absolutely crushed and gone. Alcantara gets number two on the year, and Sergio gives the Cubs their four-run lead back. Drill to right. That one back. Get up. Gone. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? What an at-bat from Anthony Rizzo. An absolute marathon. Is he excited? Lined into white center field. Another two-out run crosses the plate. It's 2-0 Chicago. Well, that's what it sounded like over the weekend after a, I'm just going to say, frustrating weekend against the Chicago Cubs. Why? What happened? Well, we're, we're going to... I was out of town. I yeah, left. Everything was fine. You go on vacation, I, Tanner Hendrickson, and looks what and happened. It looks like a bomb went off. Actually, I do think this timed up very correctly when you left. Kind of all hell broke loose with the Cardinals, so I kind of blame you for that. That is the voice of Tanner Hendrickson, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, he is back. I'm Alex Ferrario. No Brandon Kiley today. He is out today, so we figured we would sub in Brandon Kiley for another superstar, and that's Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic, which, frankly, Katie, thank you for coming in because I know it was a night game. It was a frustrating weekend in Chicago. And you said, why not just come in and do an hour of radio? Superstar is a stretch. I will <laughs> say that. But no, it's it's wonderful to be here. And it's not like there's nothing to talk about, of course. No, gosh, no. We're going to get into plenty of that. Well, look, the cards get swept by the Cubs over the weekend. A uh, frustrating weekend because the first game on Friday, they're leading 5-1. to one. They blow that lead. Kind of a blowout against Kyle Hendricks on Saturday. And then last night, it was a 2 nothing final score. And right now, I think we start with just the downslide that the Cardinals are in, Katie, because... You split the series against the Cleveland Indians, and at the time, Mike Schilt was saying, like, look, this is going to turn around. We feel like this is going to turn around, and lo and behold, they win that game. But you go out into Chicago where it's not just the Cubs. It's the Reds at the Brewers. The NL Central's on a hot streak right now, and the Cardinals are trying to figure out where they are going to come out on the end of this. Absolutely. It's the culmination of a, a perfect storm that the Cardinals are caught up in when they lose three-fifths of their rotation. They don't have Harrison Bader yet. He's not progressing as well as they'd like him to. Every team in the division is surging, and the Cardinals are, are stumbling, and it magnifies everything. Because just two weeks ago, they were three games atop of the division, playing well, sitting comfortably. And now it's like we all have 
very short-term memory, and over the last two weeks, they've, they've struggled, right? But this is what happens in 162 games. There's peaks, there's valleys, ups and downs, and sure, there's, there's reasons to be concerned, especially over the starting rotation, but I think a lot of this is magnified just because of the sweep by the Reds and the sweep by the Cubs, which is never ideal in any time of the season. But really just how well all the other teams are playing right now compared to the Cardinals struggling is making this magnified a lot more than it maybe would be. And I think, too, it's you look at it, it's six games back now of first in the NL Central. And I think people see that number and they're thinking, OK, Tank. well, this is yeah, this is going from worst to first or first to worst really quick. You're what one and nine in your last 10 games. You've got the Reds who are on a little bit of a roll, the Brewers who are on a roll. And then, of course, the Cubs, despite that losing three or four against the Giants, they won three series, I think, consecutively after sweeping the Cardinals. More so, I think it's to the point now, Katie, where you look at it and you say it's hard to read this team because for a while there we were talking about the the pitching, right? We're talking about the rotation and the injuries that have taken place. Then that transitioned over to the bullpen and the bullpen struggling. Then it transitions to the offense with runners in scoring position. And it felt like this weekend was a culmination of all three of those things because you get the struggle start from John Gant. You get the bullpen loss where you were winning five to one where Oviedo wasn't able to go the distance. And then, of course, last night you're talking about the offense. So really, it was like the worst of everything in three games. No, and I think that's very symbolic of where the team is at right now. They're not going out and and playing bad in all facets of their game. It's one game, one thing goes wrong where they need it to go right. And it's frustrating. It's maddening, of course. But when you think about it this way, this Cardinals team has had three games all season where they had their ideal projected starting lineup. Their projected rotation, their preferred rotation at full strength has appeared in four innings. Yeah. Like that's that's as long as they had Miles Michaelis. Like this is a team that knows what it takes to win. I mean, there's too much talent on the starting roster where they're not going to turn it around. And it gets really easy to get caught up in the current swing of things. But let's think about how high everyone was riding when they won 13 out of 17 a few weeks ago. And this day everyone was like, World Series, 12 and 21, here we come. <laughs> and now all of a sudden it's sell. Everything is, is chaotic and this is going to be a horrible season when it's really just a point in the baseball season. It's not very fun if you're a fan right now to deal with, but these things happen. Now what's going to be interesting is how the Cardinals react. Right now it's almost a matter of who has the better AAA team with all the injuries, right? Yeah. And and the Cardinals have been honest when they say that, you know, they're they're kind of depleted in Memphis right now. They don't have a lot of options and the options that they do or would prefer to have. They are also hurt. So right now it's just kind of figuring out and waiting through who do we have to kind of fill the gaps. And other teams have been able to find that while the Cardinals haven't. And I think that's kind of where they've gone in different paths. Yeah, 100%. And we'll get into some of that depth situation in just a bit um, as we're talking with Katie Wu of the Athletic Cardinals Insider who's in for Brandon Kylie today. Uh, let's go to the positive from this weekend. And I say positive and the people beer are, snake. The, the beer snake was actually really impressive. Like, come on now. You got to give Wrigley some props there with a full full crowd on top of getting all of those beer cups just, just cycling down the stands. But no, T-Bone, and this is going to hurt you a little bit because the positive it was Carlos Martinez. Seven innings, four hits, two runs, which were unearned runs because of a couple of errors in the infield, six strikeouts on top of one walk. And here was Mike Schilt after the game talking about Carlos Martinez's performance. He was fantastic. You know, he was he was tremendous, you know, passion, great pace. Um, slaughter was filthy, four-seamer, a lot of life. He was just in control of what he was doing the whole time. 
That is good to hear, especially for this depleted rotation, Katie, um, because after the last two starts from Carlos, I think a lot of people were wondering, "Uh oh, is this turning for the worst? And they really need a starting pitching. At least Carlos Martinez was able to go out on a big stage like Sunday Night Baseball in Wrigley against the Cubs and really gave his team the best chance to win out of anyone. There was nothing that Carlos Martinez could have done yesterday that you know, the team couldn't have asked for, especially on a national televised game, Saturday Night Baseball against the rival, trying to avoid a sweep in a place where he historically has not pitched well. And he was excellent. He was tremendous. His fastball Vila was up. The slider was playing. He said after the game that he felt 100% confident in his changeup and everything was working. He was animated out there. And the biggest thing was for as good as, as Paul DeYoung has been at, at shortstop, that error hurt. Yeah. But the offense wasn't able to come around. And, and you need an offense that's going to be able to manage more than two hits a night. And that's what's been really frustrating because I don't think that the consistency in the approach offensively has wavered. I think they still very much have the same consistent approach when they go to the plate. The results just haven't followed. And that is really frustrating on a night like Carlos, who personally needed that start just as much as the team did. Absolutely brought it. He was fantastic. Um, but if you are spinning it into a positive way, it's nice to see that Carlos is able to to spin it because after two, and he's said himself, terrible starts, he came out there and did what he had to do and showed he can turn around. And Carlos was really good in May. Now, I understand he's historically the narrative has been he's been inconsistent. Yeah. I understand that. But at this point right now, there's not a lot of options. So you have to put your trust in, in guys like Martinez and John Gann who play with fire sometimes. But every, you know, they have shown they can get out of it. It's not an ideal situation. Um, but I think Carlos, that's exactly what he needed to continue building off this start. You know what I loved about Carlos's game last night? It, I think it was... I think it was either the fifth or the sixth inning, and it was a line drive hit right up the middle. Like, nobody was going to get that ball. They, they panned to him on ESPN, and Carlos is throwing his glove on the mound. Yes. Like, the energy you get from Carlos Martinez in those games, Katie, that's when you know he's on. It's the games where the Dodgers, where you could see that the pitches just weren't right. You know, he was off. His mindset was kind of in and out. But a game like that against the Cubs, Watching him perform like that, and I know they're in a tough situation now with all of their pitchers hurt, but watching a game like that, I trust Carlos when he goes to the mound rather than the Carlos in the L.A. game where I'm sitting there going, ooh, one pitch you knew Carlos wasn't ready. That's a fair point, and that has not been the narrative all along. It's good Carlos, bad Carlos, right. and good Carlos is such a viable weapon for this team, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for being able to make those adjustments mentally and, and fighting through when he wasn't necessarily able to do that consistently all of the time. So hopefully Carlos can step up because they desperately need him. Um, Cardinals are hoping that KK can come back as early as tomorrow and won't need a rehab stint. But, you know, backs are, are tricky. So <laughs> just like almost everything else they're dealing with. Uh, so, yeah, I think it may be hard to do from a fan standpoint. But Carlos has shown how well he's been able to pitch. He did it yesterday. He did it throughout May. And he has shown he can string it together somewhat consistently if he can keep up that same mentality. Just one of these times, can we just get a blister injury for somebody? Like, can it not be a back or an arm to where we're sitting there going, oh, I wonder how long. Like, give us a blister where you uh, know it's going to be five games. I don't know. Miller was out a month. That's, that was a bad that's, blister. That's true. That was a toe situation. Well, the one thing I did want to talk with Katie about before we wrapped up this segment, and we're going to get into uh, today being a holiday, not just, of course, holiday for people to celebrate, but it's also a holiday for baseball fans. We'll talk about that in a bit. But you got to see a full stadium out at Wrigley Field, one of the best stadiums there is for baseball. You're out there. You see that full crowd. Could you tell a difference in the game, Katie, when you have a sold-out Wrigley Field? 
100%. I, I have, I've been to Wrigley one time and I was nine or 10 years old and I sat right behind a pole. I had one of those seats. So I was like, I am my Wrigley best experience. Seats in the house. <laughs> right. Not, not great. But getting in there and a Friday day game, it was beautiful in Chicago. Um, you know, have, I couldn't remember the last time I saw a full flag on the field and the national <laughs> anthem and Bill Murray's uh, seventh inning stretch. Oh, yeah. The energy from the crowd, especially during that 14 pitch at bat from. Daniel Ponce Leon to Anthony Rizzo. It just felt like a normal baseball game. Yeah. It felt like summertime, and the the energy there was electric. I think the Cubs couldn't have planned their second opening day any better, and I know that the, the schedule just happened to align that way, but to have it be Cardinals-Cubs over a beautiful weekend in Chicago, yeah. it was... The atmosphere was wonderful. I, I, if you have never, if you're a baseball fan and you've never been to Wrigley Field, you have to go. It was just could not recommend it more. Just watching that game from my television, like you could feel the electricity. So, like I, I honestly, I can't wait for Bush Stadium to get back to that. And I know it's full capacity starting today. We just talked about that with Danny Mac a little bit ago. Like that's going to transition into that at some point. But for right now, man, it's just nice to see that full capacity in the stadium. Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for the Athletics, she is in with us today until twelve o'clock. Brandon Kylie is out today. Jeremy Rutherford, the athletic insider for the Blues, joins us from 12 to 1. And then we got Brad Thompson in studio from 1 until 2. I mentioned it, a holiday. If you're celebrating it, congratulations. But Should've Cardinals... Day off. That's true. Ryder <laughs> T-Bone would like his day off after vacation, just so you know. But we are going to talk a little bit about a baseball holiday, which is today, because now is the time, according to some people, you evaluate your team. Katie Tanner and I will talk about that next here on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Oh, I don't think we're concerned. I'm I'm pretty sure we're just uh, out there playing the game. I know the Cubs are a good team. This is a wild place to play. So, you know, we're just trying to uh, do as much as we can as a group. And, um, you know, just sometimes it doesn't work out. I think uh, we've been playing good defense. We've been hitting the ball decent. I think just, um, you know, we just got to be able to play a complete game, you know, pitching, hitting, and defense all together. It's Cardinals shortstop Paul DeYoung, who returned on Friday, had a home run on Saturday. Uh-huh. He's back in the lineup. Is the only Woo-hoo. hit from the weekend, but hey, you got the power back, which is what you need, and you're at least starting to see a uh, full lineup back for the Cardinals as they're waiting the return of Harrison Bader, but along with Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for the Athletic, Tanner Hendrickson, and Alex Ferrario, we are officially at Flag Day, ladies and gentlemen, and if you listen to any baseball analysts around Major League Baseball, specifically Mike Claiborne, Cardinals broadcaster here in St. Louis, Flag Day is the checkpoint for the evaluation of your team. Now, I know it's a little over midway through the season, or I think it's uh, over a quarter of the season through, but Flag Day being the timeline for some people of that's how you can evaluate your team, Katie. And for me, I still think, and people are going to hate this on the Air Comfort Service text line 657-0 because, you know, quote-unquote, it's an excuse. It's still hard for me to read what this team is. And we talked about it a little bit in the previous segment because – it's been one area of issues for the Cardinals. It's either been pitching in the rotation or the bullpen, or then it's the offense. But this weekend kind of gave us a taste of everything. Do I think the Cardinals need some help from the outside? Yes. But it's also hard for me to sit here and watch what this Cardinals team can do and say, well, this team's not going to make the playoffs. And I know Carlos Martinez was very adamant about this last night, saying they're going to start winning. They're going to win the, make the playoffs. I still believe that. But at flag day, I do look at this team and say, they're going to need some help to get to that point. 
I'm exactly on the same page as you. I think this Cardinals team is still too talented to not make a run. Now, the concern I think that's valid right now is the way that the National League is shaking out. You almost have to win the division because there's a pretty good chance that both wildcard teams are going to come from the NLS. Yeah. Like, there's a pretty good chance. Giants. Seriously, there's a pretty good chance (laughs) that all three California National League teams are going in the playoffs, which makes the division super important, even more important than it usually is. Now, yes, they need some outside help. It's, it's very clear what can happen with this team as soon as there is an injury. And I know you that the common perception here is injuries are an excuse. Everyone is dealing with them. That is true. And each team so far, you've been able to see when their star players get hurt or a, a critical part of their organization is hurt, how they've been able to fill it. The Cardinals have not been able to fill those successfully or consistently. And that's where I think the help needs to come from. They have a really sound starting lineup when their pitching rotation is healthy. I mean, Jack Flaherty is is one of the most exciting pitchers in baseball. That hurts. I don't know if you can make up for not having him, but there has to be some sort of help, some sort of depth that the Cardinals can rely on because it's we've seen how drastic it can get when they don't have it. This isn't a team like the Cubs or the Giants or the Dodgers or the Mets that have been able the Mets especially yeah. have been able to deep or dig deep down into their organization and find some stopgap solutions. The guys that the Cardinals have hoped to do so haven't been able to do it consistently. And that's where I think the biggest concern is that they want to be a playoff team. Again, I think they have all the talent in the world on a healthy roster. It's just a matter of will that healthy roster return? And when it does, where where is that diamond in the rough, like midseason acquisition that clicks? Yeah. Well, and because it's Flag Day and because we're kind of given this evaluation, send us your Rhino Shield mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. Of course, you can also text us on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Let's kind of break this down into clumps right now if we're looking at this team. Let's start with the offense because a frustrating week offensively this weekend, but you also scored, what, five runs in that first game on Friday before the Cubs started to turn things around. You get two runs, of course, in Saturday's game and then no runs in Sunday's game. But overall, what, you're 16th in home runs, you're 25th in batting average and on-base percentage, 16th in slugging, 22nd in OPS, 21st in strikeouts. The starting eight or starting nine, however you want to look at it, doesn't concern me. You don't have Harrison Bader, which I think is important. Maybe not so much on the batting side, although he was getting hot towards the end of things. You get Paul DeYoung back, but it's that one through seven right now where you look at and you say it's really solid. Now, a little bit of hot and cold right now with Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, a frustrating weekend for him. But I think we all can agree that this offense, as it sits from the starting eight or starting nine, is where you want it to be. It's not like you look at that and you say, oh, they need an upgrade there at some point. I would agree. I think the only upgrade they need are, are results. Yeah. I mean, they they have the guys, and I actually thought the lineup that Schultz rolled out all weekend was probably the best one he could have had given who he has. Yeah. I, you know, and you can make the argument that DeYoung and Sosa and Carpenter can platoon play the matchups. I understand that. I think that's a valid argument to have. But there is some value in having Sosa off the bench. He's an electric spark plug. He's a fun player to watch. He can come in as a late defensive replacement. At the same time, Matt Carpenter is a left-handed power bat that's hitting the ball a lot better so that he can also serve well off the bench. I, I think I I like, I still like Tommy Edmond in leadoff, leadoff spot. I like Dylan Carlson too. I know those one and two haven't really been gotten going the way that they can as of late. Goldschmidt, Arenado, O'Neal. Yeah, sure. Tyler strikes out a lot. <laughs> Tyler also hits a lot of home runs. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the, at least you know what you can expect from him there. 
and Yachty will be fine. And, you know, one through nine, I do think this is you look at the lineup and you're like, hey, that's a powerful lineup when it clicks. So it's just establishing that consistency, which is a pattern the Cardinals have had all through pretty much every element of their game. Okay, how do we get the starting pitching consistent? How do we get the offense consistent? Their defense, usually pretty solid, commits two errors yesterday. And, you know, that one one error leads to deciding the game. That's Mm -hmm. so, so unlike the way the Cardinals play baseball. So, again, from an offensive standpoint, I really just think it's about establishing that consistency because they have the players that are able to do that. Yeah, I'm with you. The offense doesn't concern me. The one through eight, when you get them going and when you're healthy, we've only seen the lineup. You mentioned the last segment, Kitty, three times. The ideal lineup has been out there three times, yeah. and then Dion got hurt, and then it started again, and then mm-hmm. Bader got hurt, and so on. But when that lineup is healthy, I think this has the potential to be a top five lineup in the National League. And with that being the case, I, I think you have a chance to be one of the best teams in the NL Central, if not the best team in the NL Central. And you're going to have to win the Central. We talked about it earlier. You have to. I look at the offense now and the struggles. I think part of the struggles, and we talk about it with the Blues, and maybe now it's just an extended rut, but when you have to change positions, even if it's just going from Carlson from right to center when Bader got hurt, that's a different thing for Carlson. It kind of changes the routine. Now I'm playing in center field instead of right field. Yeah. And then you look at uh, DeYoung's returning. So now the lineup gets moved a little bit now, DeYoung hitting eighth. I think that the constant change that occurs has led to some not feeling as comfortable, not saying they're uncomfortable, but it's just something different. And we always talk about rhythm as the thing that gets ballplayers going. I think that's part of it. So the more games you have going into this, the more games that Carlson's in center field as we're without Bader, I think the more we're going to see the offense start to click. I I think it's just a matter of time before they get out of this rut. And the hard part for me, too, with the offense, like I'm not concerned, like I mentioned, but there is kind of a little caveat that goes with it. It's the runners in scoring position that's concerning with this offense. And like you said, Katie, I think it is just a matter of clicking where that starts to turn things around. You had it in your article this morning. What was it? Sunday's game last night. They didn't have a runner past second base. Like second base was the furthest they got with runners in scoring position. And right now, when you look at runners in scoring position, they're one of the bottom teams in the National League. But it's also you look at this and you say, okay, Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, and Yadier Molina. Like those six aren't just going to continue this route. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, that's what they've been for the last three years, but they also haven't had a Nolan Arenado for the last three years. And I understand he's been struggling, but you look at that lineup with runners in scoring position and you say, yes, it's a rut right now, but that's all it feels like. It doesn't feel like something that's just been trending this way all season. That's I think it's hard. I understand when you're passionate about about a team like the Cardinals, to really break it down and, and be rational about things. But again, it's a 162-game season. No team in the history of Major League Baseball has gone 162 and zero. In fact, most teams will lose about, uh, most good teams, a third of their games. This stretch is an ideal for reasons we've already mentioned. And, you know, it's never, it's always concerning when you see a trend and, and a, a stretch that has turned kind of, you know, pretty brutal for this team. Yeah. They're going to figure it out. I always say it's better to slump in June than September. So it's all about just being rational, knowing that this team has the tools. They have the players. They have the guys. Offensively, pitching is another story. Yeah. <laughs> but offensively, since since that's the topic we're on, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Right? We, they're professional ball players. This is a sport based on failure. Like they're they're going to fail at some point and they just haven't really been able to click. And that's why this upcoming series against the Marlins, I think for the next two weeks, the Cardinals don't play a team with a winning record. Yeah. 
So it's a good chance to hit the reset button and get back on course because that's really just what they need. They've just kind of fallen off the tracks a little bit. They have not completely derailed. They're just doing a little push back on to keep going. And hopefully, for their case, the strength of schedule really comes into play because as soon as July hits, it gets pretty brutal. Yeah. So I think they really need to take advantage of these next two weeks against teams that are, are struggling uh, maybe a little bit worse, or in the Diamondbacks' case, a lot worse yeah. than, than they are right now. And hopefully that's what they need to, again, start clicking and, and figuring it out see, because I think they believe that they can do it. See, this is the optimism when we need on BK and Ferrario T-Bone. You and BK just bring the pessimism. Whoa, you know? you just, you're pessimistic. You're pessimistic here. Okay, so that's the offense. I, I think we've talked about the starters. We all know kind of where the starting situation is at with injuries and possibly needing a trade. But I want to look at the bullpen here on Flag Day as the evaluation period. A lot of people look at it in baseball. Yes, you have the highest walk percentage in baseball, which is not good. What is it? 20th ERA, I think, with a 4.44 in your bullpen right now. But I also look at the bullpen and it's not so much the back end of it. Like I feel comfortable when Giovanni Gallegos and Alex Reyes gets the call. What I don't feel comfortable is that in-between. And I think Friday was a perfect example of that, right? Johan Oviedo puts them in a good position, but his his pitch count is high. He's not giving you more than five or six innings in a game. It's when you get to the Jake Woodford or the Ponstones or the Ryan Helsley's or the Seth Elliges. Like, that's the kind of in-between right now for the bullpen where you look at it and you say, you need a little bit more from that area of this bullpen. Sure, I, I think that's fair. And I, I bullpens are so finicky because if you have... Ponce de Leon, who's gone gone out and done his job, everyone's like, "Yep, that's what you're supposed to do." Right. But then you know the legendary bat yeah, by the Rizzo, sixteen at bat <laughs> pitch performance. It's like, come on now, ridiculous. I think she literally said a hundred pitch at bat, and you know he's not really one to embellish. So that that's, that's all you need to know. Um, it it gets super magnetized because there is not a lot of trust overall in the the kind of long relief or middle innings role of the bullpen and. I think, it again, it comes down to consistency because they've shown they can do it. I think Andrew Miller has done a great job in, yeah. re- in coming back from that month-long Turf, blister. Um, it's fine. Circle of trust? <laughs> no. Come da- on, Katie, me- we have a circle of trust here. We've talked with you about it on our Monday hits. This kid over here, kid, sorry, buddy, you're 21. That's not a kid anymore. Wow, unbelievable. <laughs> you, you, you put everyone in the circle of trust. Just He's been really go. good. He's been really good, That's though. fine, but remember what we did with Ryan Helsley when you put him in. He was good for a game. Yeah, you blew that. him up after that. Sorry, Katie. No, you know, I, I think it's fine. I, I personally, I would put uh, Miller in my circle of trust. Oh, my gosh. So okay. I, that's plus one for Tanner. Um, but, you, you know, go. he's done well. They yeah. have the guys. Um, losing Hicks is a huge blow, of mm-hmm. course. But they had the guys that they thought were going to be able to hold over. Um, and it is such a hard thing to learn in the big leagues. It's a quick learning curve. I have found that out as a reporter, so I cannot (laughs) even imagine as an actual player how quick that learning curve is. So guys like Woodford and guys like Elledge and guys like Cody Whitley, they're going to struggle every now and then. That's just the part of coming out from a weird 2020 season, getting called up to your debut, having to fill in and go up and down, but they're there. They're there for a reason. They have shown they can do it. It's, again... And here we go with this underlying theme of consistency, which I'm so tired of saying, but it is true. Um, you know, any team can benefit from bullpen help. Obviously, you yeah. can never you can never have enough starting pitching is what they say, but you can also never have too many relievers. So, again, it, it almost helps when they struggle because it, it provides them something to learn from, mm-hmm. and they have to learn quickly here. Um, I I think Ponce will be fine. I'm confident in Miller. I think they're doing exactly what they need to do. And I think that Woodford and Elledge, uh, the more that they go out there, the better it's going to get. Yeah. Um, 
but they definitely need a little bit more help, I think, in the relief department. Yeah, and a lot of people looking at the walk situation, which, of course, isn't just the Cardinals' mm-hmm. bullpen. It's the rotation as well, putting them in this tough situation. It's 11.32. It's your time check presented by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So since we've talked about Flag Day, where are the Cardinals' biggest needs? And they can they pull the trigger on those biggest needs? John Mozalock mentioned a possible shakeup, and we'll dive into that with Katie Wu next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Now it's one of those those lulls in the season where we've got to fight through this. We can't panic, but we we've got to get back to our winning ways. And you know, it's much easier said than done, especially when you're dealing with the injury list that we are. But you know, hopefully, um, maybe we can shake things up a little bit. We're trying to look at all different types of alternatives if possible. But you know, clearly, what we're seeing right now, it's 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 hard to win games. Oh man. Cardinals shake things up. It's what everyone's calling for. That was the president of baseball operations, John Mozalak, who was on the team's flagship station yesterday talking about this Cardinals situation right now, along with Katie Wu, Cardinals insider, and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. So we hear those phrase, that phrase, time to shake things up. And I think immediately people hear that and say, oh, well, they're talking about a trade, right? You go out there and you get yourself a starting pitcher. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, right? Why not? Just trade for him. You just give up, what, some cash for him? Washington would do that, yeah, right? bag of balls. Bag of balls, maybe. Bad if they need those. Who knows right now? By the way, Kyle Schwarber said yesterday on their postgame that, you know, this team's good. We're not We're not just going to walk out of this and lose the division. So that might not be good for the Max Scherzer yeah, sweepstakes. Okay. But who Whatever. knows? So let's start with that, though, when talking about shaking things up. Because a lot of people want the trade. But I think right now, Katie, the Cardinals are in a situation where – as much as you want to trade, the other team that you're trying to make a deal with knows that you want and need a trade. And I think that's what turns into that desperation situation where you're talking about Nolan Gorman. You're talking about Matthew Libator. And I believe the Cardinals are in the situation right now. We've seen in the minor league situation, you don't have the ability to pull off a big-time trade like that at this point of the year. There's there's a lot to break down about if the Cardinals are going to trade for a highly viable, big-name blockbuster starting pitcher. And the the desperation thing is very true. Look, teams across the board, all 30 of them, need starting pitching. Every If you look at every single club right now, if you ask them, do you need another starter? Would you like to have another starter? <laughs> every single team, even teams that are going to be eliminated, would say yes. You're coming off a condensed 60-game season. Injuries are up. Pitchers aren't, you know... It, I, it's hard to kind of gauge if that's directly correlated, but you know, I, I know that the Cardinals were preparing for the six man rotation to kind of alleviate that early in, on in the season. Yeah. But t- every team wants starting pitching. Every team, all 29 front offices, are looking at the Cardinals and saying they need it. They need it if they want to be successful. They need it if they want to win this division. They don't have any, really. So we're going to try and fleece them for as much as we can. And, you know, the Cardinals have been on that receiving end of that, you know, with their third baseman. Yeah. They know what, right? They they have done their fair share of fleecing. But right now, I think the biggest thing that Mo is trying to balance and the Cardinals front offense is trying to balance is how much do they give up for possibly a half season rental 
in which you've already seen injuries rise, and there's no guarantee that this pitcher that they trade for, whether that's Scherzer, whether that's Kyle Gibson, whether that's literally no anyone we haven't talked about, stays healthy. Are you willing to give up someone like Nolan Gorman or Jordan Walker for a rental, essentially, mm-hmm. where you're not even sure if they can stay healthy? That's where they're at. They're kind of wading through these very muddy waters of, What's the right price to pay for this for something that we desperately need, but we also don't want to hinder the plans of pieces that we very much believe will be the future of this ball club when we wouldn't have to in a normal circumstance. I think that's the hardest thing they've had to negotiate. They've also had to negotiate the timing. Mid-June, not an ideal place to make a blockbuster trade. You know, the thing about Scherzer that, that strikes me is, yes, the Nationals are not, they don't really look like a good team. That doesn't really look like a good division. Right. The NL East, I think, has one team above 500 and one team with a, and it's the Mets, with a run differential that's positive, right? Yeah. So it's too early for the Nats to say if they're sellers. It's not too early for like the Rangers or the Diamondbacks or the Rockies. But again, teams are going to are gonna go after the Cardinals for more for a guy like Marquez. Well, I don't actually don't think the Rockies will ever trade with the Cardinals Yeah, the again. Rockies won't even pick up that, that phone anymore. <laughs> they're, uh, no, they're blocked. Um, <laughs> but like if the Cardinals or the Diamondbacks or, or someone want to maybe a trade with a three or four kind of arm, yeah. they're going to want something much higher because they know the Cardinals need it. So it's, again, finding that balance. And that's a difficult thing to do right now because of all of the things we mentioned. So... I don't really know if we can expect a trade right now. I mean, we probably can't. It just comes down. It'll come down to what the team is looking like, what Miles' timetable is like near the deadline, what Jax is, and if KK can be healthy, then I think that's when they'll decide to push their chips in or when not to. Yeah, uh, Michael Gersh is going to have to buy a burner phone to try and call the Rockies (laughs) and like fake being somebody else if you're going to pull that off. Let me throw this at you, though, because I know people want to see the trades John Mazalek has mentioned the trades, not just in terms of helping the major league staff, but also helping the minor league depth system. But what if a shakeup looks like switching things up with the batting order and the everyday lineup? And maybe this is just me going really far out here to try and fix things. But you look at the guys who are struggling right now. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill has actually been the bright spot in these last couple of weeks. What if John Mazalek and company are looking at shaking things up in terms of I don't know, pushing Paul Goldschmidt down a little bit in the lineup. To the eighth spot. Okay, that's a little little aggressive. My bad. No, I was thinking more like, I don't know, drop him down to the five spot and put Nolan Arenado in the third spot or move Tyler O'Neill. Switching things up something with maybe a different look. And I know baseball players are all about repetition and doing the same thing over and over. But when it hasn't worked, and I forgot, I think it was what they scored one run or two runs after they took that 5-1 lead against the Cubs on Friday? What if you look at this batting order and you say, okay, well, let's start by shaking things up this way? Because it does feel like the Cardinals are in the situation that they're just trying to stretch this out and keep their head above water until they get closer to the trade deadline. You know, I never can. I said it before. I'll say it again. I thought the lineup that Schultz had for all three yeah. games was, and it, whether you had DeYoung hitting eighth or Sosa hitting eighth, it's probably exactly where people should be given the way that they're expected to play and perform. Now, I know that when the Cardinals debuted their lineup on opening day, they had Goldie two and Arnado three, and I and Carlson, in my opinion, way too low. Yes, um, I, I think Carlson does a fantastic job in the two hole, even if he's a little frustrated right now with. Some some bad luck and some hard balls. Some hard hit balls. You know, the same old, same narrative. (laughs) Um, 
But I don't know if it would. I mean, maybe. I mean, Ar- Arnado has said before in his career he's used to get kind of finicky and kind of like a stickler about not hitting cleanup, and now he doesn't really care. He was fine to hit third. He was yeah. fine to hit behind Goldie if Goldie was two. Um, they could. They could. I think, you know, I, I see a lot. I, Tommy Edmund gets a lot of flack in the leadoff spot, and I'm like, of all the things to complain about, you're really going to complain about Tommy Edmund, really, right now, guys? <laughs> so one thing nobody should be complaining Seriously, about at all right now. come on. Like, pick your battles. I would still leave Tommy in the leadoff spot and Dylan, too, and maybe, you know, you can move Tyler up or, or move Nolan up and drop Goldie down a little bit, but I, at the end of the day, I don't think it's necessarily a lineup construction thing. I think it's just... They we saw this in Chicago. They had the big hit. They, you know they had the five runs early on um, on Saturday. Nolan homers puts a charge in. Cubs came back, punched him right back. DeYoung, I think that was the the Johnny Gant yeah. inning, right? Yeah, we we love to talk about that. Um, yeah, and then <laughs> what what does DeYoung do? He comes out and homers and chips away. Yeah, but they haven't been able to deliver that big knockout punch. They're just you know they're. It's like when I was younger and fighting with my brother, he was always stronger than me. I could get a couple in, but it was to no avail. I was going to lose. <laughs> so they haven't been able to find that that big knockout punch yet. And I think once they do, it will be fine. It I just I understand the frustration and it's the same thing every game and it's easy to be pessimistic, but you can't be right now. You just have to you know, trust that this lineup works out. They have a great chance to do so against Miami, and maybe they'll be able to get that big hit that they need. It only takes one. It really does to kind of right the ship here. So that's – I don't know how they can really shake it up. It's not like they have a lot of options with yeah. that that bench of theirs. So I don't know about that one. It's like when you play Yahtzee. You know, you do the same shake over and over. Be like, oh, maybe if I do a different shake, it'll roll Yahtzee for me, right? Nice. You're, you T-Bone, you look at me like you don't even know what Yahtzee is. I know what Yahtzee is. And Katie's is. just sitting here going, that's a terrible comp, but it's okay. She's pest- She's optimistic for me. So T-Bone, what were you going to say? I, I agree. I don't think I would change the lineup up. Maybe if the skid kind of continues over the next couple of days, not just with the offense, too. If you're going to continue to lose, you're 2-9 and nine in your last 11. Uh, I would look at it just kind of as... Let's just change something up. The offense, to me, has not been the problem during the, the skid. It's been the pitching has had its downs and not very many See, it's so hard for me to say that though because as much as I w- then I look at last night's game and I'm like the Car- like that's a game Carlos, you have to win that- for Carlos and even Oviedo I mean Oviedo was great in that one it's just you needed to win it for your bullpen he hit a wall and then the bullpen mm-hmm. collapsed yeah I, I just look at it as maybe it's something that you could consider just uh, whether it is maybe you move Goldie down and then bring up O'Neal just something to where the guys walk into the ballpark and it's oh hey New lineup today. Just something fresh. When they, and I think we all saw it coming. Carlson was hitting too low, and then when they bump him up to the two spot, their next 15 games, they go 12-3. where they went three. off. Now, yeah. granted, they may have been playing the Pirates, but, you know, they were good fine. then. Yeah. Kind no, of. No. no, they really were But weren't. they went 12-3, and three, and it was just a little bit of a spark. They, they started the season off well. You kind of come into a little bit of a lull. All right, let's just do one little thing, one little tweak to this lineup. Goldie, you're going to hit three. Carlson's going to be two. Arnado's in that cleanup spot. Then you get this little tweak. Maybe it was a little bit of a refreshment. They go 12-3. and three. Maybe it's something to consider. I would stick with the lineup you have right now. But if the skid continues, then maybe you look at it. Yeah, well, we'll have to find out tonight. They're against the Marlins, and I believe it's a 7-15 first pitch from Bush Stadium. Um, so we'll find out if they decide to shake things up that way, or we continue to wait to find out if a trade happens for the Cardinals. We're getting a lot of texts on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 asking if we have seen the National League all-star ballot leaders as of late. Yes, and we will get into that with our questions 
and Answers segment with Katie Wu next. If you have questions, you can send them over to us, 65780. Questions and Answers next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Line is six five seven eight zero. Final segment here with Katie Wu. We got to get her out here so she can get set for Cubs and Marlins tonight. But we appreciate her sitting in with us today. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford's going to jump in from twelve to one o'clock. We'll shift to a little blues conversation. But now is your chance to get some questions in for Katie Wu. Air Comfort Service text line is six five seven eight zero. And Katie Tanner, let's start with this, guys. Have you seen the National League ballot leaders? No cards on this list. So right now, the starters are Buster Posey, Max Muncy, Ozzie Albies, Chris Bryant, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., Nick Castellanos, and Jesse Winker. I think all of those make sense, um, except for the one, Katie, that you and I were talking about during the commercial break. How the hell is Chris Bryant the starting third baseman? This man has played more in left field than he has third base this season. It, it makes no sense. No um, sense. I, you know, there's a lot of things to, to gripe about with Major League Baseball. This is more comical <laughs> to me than anything. But it is surprising. Um, I, I think, and I know this is an entirely different category, but if Tyler O'Neill isn't in the home run derby at Coors Field, that's a disservice to the sport. Like he should absolutely be there. And actually, Tyler is playing at an all-star caliber, all jokes aside. Um, and, and Nolan, too. So it's it's not necessarily surprising that they're not leading when you look at the leaders. Like Buster Posey is hitting like it's what, 2010, yeah. his rookie year, 2012. Even uh, year back in the early 2010s. Seriously. And, you know, looking at the leaders, it makes sense. Tatis has been fantastic. Acuna Jr. is a star. Um and the Reds, Castellanos and Winker. I mean, those are actually two MVP conversations. I know it's a little early for that, but they could be if they keep it up. Yeah. So kind of shocking to me, but also not just based on how, how the team has been playing and how the other players have been. But yeah, we you guys, you got to do a better job of getting Tyler there. Yeah. Okay. Kind of what I'm thinking as well. And I mean, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Like, I feel like at the end of the day, once the all-star players are named and you get to some of the guys that are invited in or, or voted in by the other players. I feel like we're going to see Tyler O'Neill. I have a feeling we'll see Nolan Arenado because like that feels like name recognition more than anything. And I don't know about you guys. Alex Reyes is another one that I feel like is going to be into this one. Right. So, as, I mean, are is three too much right now, in your opinion? Mm, I Maybe you can make the case for Reyes. The problem is he hasn't had any like actual save leverage situations. I In think like he's two like, weeks. <laughs> right. He's pitched three times this month. Yeah. And two of them have come during losses, right? Yeah. So maybe if the Cardinals can turn it around, that can kind of switch the narrative because he has, you know, a perfect save record. Um Arnado, I you're missing a huge storyline if he's gonna go play the all-star game at Coors Field. Oh my gosh. So vote him in solely off of that's probably why he's not getting voted in. Colorado fans are not voting. Protest. Yes. Give it to Chris Bryan. He's a third baseman. But seriously, <laughs> sometimes he used to be. But I, I think in Tyler's case, you make a great point, Alex. Yeah. You know, he'll get the notoriety or and the notice yeah. from the league and from the players because he's definitely an all-star caliber player this year. What about you, T-Bone? I'm with you guys. I don't know if Reyes will get in. I, I think he sh- belongs into the All-Star game. What about Yachty? We didn't mention Yachty. I, Yachty's path to me would have to possibly be voted in. But even then, he's this is maybe his best offensive season of his career. 
I think Yachty deserves to be an All-Star. Will he start? Maybe not because yeah. Posey's been great, but I think he should be in the All-Star game too. Good yeah, point. That's a, that's a tough one too, the way he's been playing. Uh, from the 314 Air Comfort Service text on a 65780, when do the Cardinals become sellers instead of buyers? They could get great value instead of the ones getting fleeced. I, I can answer that one. Oh, quickly. can you? Oh, they're okay. not going to be sellers. Not at one point this season will they be sellers. Yeah. I hope. You're right. <laughs> you were so confident, and then you just, I hope. Well, you know, every time I usually make a quote-unquote bold statement, it yeah. usually comes back to bite me in the butt at some point. True, so TKO. I just had to make sure I had that I hope in <laughs> your, there. Your small disclaimer, but I, I agree with you. They're not they're not selling. Yeah. But I don't, and I can't imagine them not making at least some moves at the deadline, whether that's a blockbuster or a big name or if it's like small increments. I don't know. Um, but they're they're not selling. Well, and here's the thing, too. They don't have a lot of pieces that you could sell and get something for. There's also that. I mean, like, there's Matt a couple. Carpenter? No, okay, no, that's not happening. He's a Cardinal for life. You know that. That's how this ends. But, right. like, I mean, honestly, you're talking about maybe KK if he's healthy, but I don't know if anybody's buying in on that. To sell. No. Because they, they very much adamantly believe they're going to be in the playoffs this year. Carlos has said it. Nolan said they're going to be fine. DeYoung has said they're going to be fine. Tyler has said they're going to be fine. This team really believes in it, and I know I'm getting probably a ton of eye rolls, and a lot of people are yelling at me from their uh, cars. We get those all the time, Katie. It's whatever, no big deal. Whatever. That's what they're saying. That's the mentality in the clubhouse. That's what's on the field. They're all loose in BP. No one's playing tight and hunched over. They're, they firmly believe this is just a bad stretch, and they're going to be right in the thick of it in September. And are the Reds going to continue playing this well? Probably not. Are the Brewers going to continue playing this well? Probably not. Like every single team is going to taper off here. Mm -hmm. And I think the Cardinals are just banking on figuring it out. They really do believe it. So, no, I don't think they're going to sell in any way. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, final one. We'll get you out on this one, Katie. Favorite St. Louis food restaurant or place that you found so far? I need to, like, stop going to Salt and Smoke. Otherwise, I'm going to have to get, like, new work clothes. Yeah, good luck with and that. And it's so close. There, I I love where I live because there's so many restaurants, but it's such it's so bad. Like, I go down the street on one of the, like, closer neighborhoods, and I can go left. Or I can go right to Whole Foods, and I can go left to Shake Shack. Oh. And, like, I'm I'm accidentally going left a lot. So. It's the fork in the road that happens. Oh, my gosh, it's so hard. Once you find it, then you're out for sure. Katie, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. I know it was a... Uh, a late night, early morning trip back from Chicago, and you got a, uh, a 7.15 start tonight, Cards and Marlins, but we appreciate you stopping in today. Guys, it's always fun talking Cardinals baseball. Happy to do it anytime. Yep, well, and they're texting in, too, saying, oh, you need to make Katie Wu a regular appearance. Well, oh, she is. I BK? am. Every, well, you can do that, too. We'll turn it into Katie Wu and company, but Katie's on every Monday with us here on BK and Ferrario. Katie Wu with us. Make sure you follow her on Twitter, and, of course, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic for all of your Cardinals information. We'll take a break and come back, which over to a little hockey conversation. Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic. He joins us next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Back in on 
on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, along with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. He will be back with us tomorrow. And of course, Katie Wu was just with us talking plenty of Cardinals. And we're going to switch over to a little hockey conversation now as we welcome in the Athletic Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. JR, you got a nice suntan. Look at you. You're just enjoying the offseason. <laughs> Look at this line, though. This is amazing. Oh, the farmer's tan suntan. You got the farmer's tan going big time. You know what? My wife offered the, the sunblock. I should have put some on but instead i let the sleeves rock and uh and now i'm paying for it i'm surprised you're not going sleeveless though you know (laughs) you're on a softball trip with your daughter like you got to go sleeveless oh yeah right sleeveless is the way to go tanner just comes back from vacation he doesn't even have a suntan yeah i need a shirt that says like uh, sun's out no gun (laughs) (laughs) i can't talk about upper body strength anymore because of this softball home run derby guys i have i seriously have the yips when it comes to softball, because we've started our like beer league that we do, come on, toughen up, buddy. I've I've struck out every time. <laughs> I have the yips now. Well, hey, the pros. You know what they say. They go to the home run derby, they do well that, in it, or they struggle, and then they come back and they struggle afterwards because they change their swing. That's that, what happened. That might be clearly. serious. To have the yips and not be playing well, doesn't that mean you have you were playing well before? Okay. I don't Enough know. out of you, JR. Enough <laughs> out of point. you. I never saw that player. It was playing yeah. good. It was last year, though. It wasn't this year. It's fine. We'll get through this. So, look, we're going to get into plenty of hockey conversation. We got Oscar Sunquist joining us at 11, or 1245 this afternoon. I'm excited to catch up with Sonny. We're going to kind of talk post-We Went Blues Day. Stanley Cup championship. Um, we'll also talk a little bit about this offseason and how tough of a year it was for this entire team. But excited to talk with Sonny at uh, 1245 today. But JR, let's start with your most recent piece in The Athletic, and it's the expansion draft, because that, unless a trade happens before then, is the next check mark for the Blues offseason, right? Like it's going to be expansion draft in late July. 21st, yeah. And then you got the NHL draft, and then you get into free agency. And unless a trade happens, you start with that expansion draft for this Blues team. And in your piece, it it seems pretty clear-cut what this protection list is going to look like. Does this give you circa Vegas Golden Knights expansion draft protection list where you knew who it was going to be? I don't quite think so because I think, uh, as I explained in the article, you can write down on paper what you think Doug Armstrong is going to do from a 7-3-1 standpoint, seven forwards, three defensemen, one goalie. But let's keep in mind that that uh, Seattle's going to take some things that Vegas did and and, and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And Vegas did a lot right, so there's yeah. a, lot, a lot to keep the same. Uh, but then Doug and other GMs around the league are going to learn, okay, we can do this. So do you get into a situation where you think one of these big contracts, like a Braden Shen, like a Tory Krug, like a Justin Falk, you leave one of those guys unprotected because you don't think in a, cap, in a, in a flat cap era that they're going to take those players? Right. I don't know if I'm the Blues if I risk something like that. Maybe some people are thinking, well, if you lose a Tory Krug, then you spend that money elsewhere and you're not burdened with that long contract, kind of like a, a lengthy Shen contract, too. So so to me, I took a stab at it, and we can talk about it here in a second, but uh, I don't say that that's in stone. I think that Doug Armstrong might have something creative up his sleeve. Well, and let's look at that list. So in your piece, and again, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic, not just for Katie Wu's work, but of course Jeremy's work as well that covers the Blues throughout this offseason. Uh, recent piece out also talking about David Perron and that postseason where he wasn't able to play. Really great stuff. Uh, but the forward group, we'll start there. You had Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Braden Shen, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Oscar Sundquist, and Vladimir Tarasenko. Now, I put Vladimir Tarasenko, I put an asterisk next to that one because I wanted to start off with that. I think you make a great point because everyone for the last couple of weeks since the season ended has been saying, oh, expose Vladdy and let Seattle take that money. 
I don't know, and you made the p- the point in your article, I don't know if you want to expose and lose a player that is possible to score 30, 35 goals for nothing. If you're going to move on from Vladdy, get something for it rather than just give him up and have him make you pay in the Seattle expansion. We saw what happened when you give players up in an expansion draft. They have that little um, island of misfit toys mentality, and they go out and score 45 goals in a season circa William Carlson. Yeah, Alex, I'm going to make two points, and it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but please bear with me. I don't think that Seattle would take Vladimir Tarasenko. I think that two years left, $7.5 million, three shoulder surgeries, came back, you know, struggled to score goals. But plus, I've made the point in the story, and I've said it recently with you, that uh, Mike Liute is a former agent now. Yeah. Vladimir Tarasenko moved on from Mike Liute. Mike Liute and Ron Francis, who runs the Seattle team, you know, are good friends. In fact, somebody told me that they might be related, so I don't want to, you know. I, but, uh, <laughs> That's interesting. But nonetheless, twist. <laughs> yeah, n- nonetheless, Ron Francis is going to have the inside information on the situation. Right. Good or bad, whatever he has to say, he's got a guy who can tell him about the player. I don't think that Seattle would take Vladimir Tarasenko. Tarasenko. Now people are saying, okay, well, if they're not going to take him, then for sure put, you know, leave him unprotected. So you can protect Barbashev. So that you can protect Barbashev or whoever you want to. But to me, you just have to get something for Vladdy Tarasenko. And and people are going to say, well, what you're getting is you're freeing up $7.5 million that you can spend elsewhere. And that's like getting a trade because you're, you're freeing up. But to me, for a club that needs players, and, and he can still play, let's not act like this guy can't right. play anymore. He's 29. He's going to be 30 years old next season. Yeah. And, a, and a franchise that right now lacks, you know, let's say uh, up and coming prospects, especially at forward uh, draft picks, yeah. so on and so forth. If you can get a second rounder for Vladdy Tarasenko, you're still putting something into your system. So to me, yeah, you leave him un- unprotected. He gets taken. You free up the 7.5. You go spend it somewhere else. But to me, uh, he's a guy who I think you have to protect. Well, and the part for me, too, with Vladdy is, and look, I, by no means am I trying to trade the guy away, but a lot of people have talked this offseason. They need a top left winger to play with Ryan O'Reilly. You know who that right wing is with David Perron. Jordan Cairo looks like he's ready to be a top six forward. Vladimir could be a trade piece for you. Now, I know he's got a no trade clause and he would have to agree to that, but you never know with a player. Maybe a change of scenery. Maybe it's wanted. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else. I'm not sure. But rather than expose him to Seattle and say, hey, just take him, you're losing a goal scorer. Whereas you could utilize him in a possible trade to benefit yourself with a goal scorer. And, and it's, I'm glad you brought that up because here's a good point. With a trade, you have certainty. You can weigh the pros and cons. You can think about it. You can go back to the other team and say, well, what about this? And, and if you find a trade that you think makes yourself a better team and you're dealing Vladimir Tarasenko, so be it. But if, if you say to yourself, I'm going to leave Vladimir Tarasenko unprotected, hope that he gets taken, that's going to give us $7.5 million for the next two years. Well, guess what? You can look up at that unrestricted free agent list yeah. all morning, noon, and night. It's not a guarantee that anybody's coming here. So you can free up that money. Who's coming? Who is guaranteed to come? Doug Armstrong just told us, what, two months ago. He said, I feel like the championship window is still open. I'm going to make that case to ownership. If you lose a Vladdy Tarasenko or you lose, let's just say, a Tory Krug this year, and you don't have someone come in and replace them, then are you closing the window? Like, I realize they might not be the best in the league at their position, and I understand that they have six, seven years left on their deal, a couple of these guys, yeah. but they still give you the best chance to win now. Well, and that's the other part, the defensive side of it. You had on your list Pareko, Krug, and Falk. I think we all can agree on that. I mean, those are the guys that make the most sense. And then Jordan Bennington as the goaltender who's protected. So it seems like it's set in stone. Now, obviously, that can change. You know, what do you do with Oscar Sundquist because of that injury? Does a team 
even take a chance on Oscar Sundquist because of that injury. So do you leave him exposed and possibly protect Ivan Barbashev? I think that's the biggest predicament that they're in right now is you have eight forwards that you'd want to protect in only seven spots. And you can do the, what is it, 10 position players, correct, and one goaltender? Yeah. But then you're losing a defenseman in that sense. So there's kind of an up up and down push and pull opportunity there. But the question that I, I wanted to throw to you, JR, is what if Doug Armstrong pulls a trade off before the expansion draft? Does well, that does that benefit them? He very well could. But the one thing that everybody has to keep in mind, and Doug Armstrong has mentioned this a time or two, like you know, let's go back to the defenseman for a minute. You yeah. said pretty clear cut that you protect those three. The reaction that I get from the article is that it's not that clear cut. Really? You should protect like a Vince Dunn instead of a Tory Krug. Let's free up Krug's contract, you know, and be be rid of, of that long-term deal. Is that because they feel Vince Dunn can help the team more than Tory Krug could next year? I think a little bit of both. They feel like he can quarterback a power play, but you, you look at the numbers. Tory Krug was a plus 10 and 5-5 five and five goal differential this right. year, playing more minutes and playing against some of the other team's top lines. I know the eye test didn't look great at times, maybe gets a little manhandled in some of those situations, but the numbers were still better than what Vince Dunn uh, did defensively. And then you look at Krug really came on in the power play yeah. the second half of the year. So, so, But some people said, you know, protect Vince Dunn, not Tory Krug. The one thing I think that we all have to keep in mind, and Doug Armstrong, again, he, he's brought this up, is you can't just go trade somebody to get an asset back so that you don't lose the guy for nothing in the Seattle draft. Let's use Vince Dunn as an example. Say you go move him today for a second-round draft pick. Okay, well, now you got a draft pick that can't help you for a few years, right? Yeah. And now you're going to lose, let's just say, Barbashev. Yeah, in the now ex- someone's more desirable. Or, or stick to defense. Now you go lose Mikula in the expansion draft. Right. So now you lose Dunn because you traded him for a second-round pick, and you lose Mikula. Two guys who yeah. are, are, are good on your left side. So you can't just go moving guys for assets just so you don't lose them because you got to understand you could be losing two guys. I think you are realistically at a point, and I know a lot of people sit here and wonder, you know, do the Blues make a trade before the expansion draft? I think you realistically are at a point where if you're Doug Armstrong, you don't make a move until after the expansion draft, right? Because then you know what the platform, the landscape of your team looks like. Whereas if, like we just mentioned, if you pull off a trade now, you're possibly losing two players with that expansion draft and may not get something that's going to benefit you. Because if you trade somebody just for a draft pick, unless it's a top 10 draft pick, you're not going to see that benefit your team within the next couple of years when this championship window's open. Yeah. And, and I, you know, going back to your question, I get it. Um, I would have to see what the, the, the foundation of the trade looked like. Um, so whether you make a trade before the expansion draft or not, I understand the point being made is that it's probably better afterwards because there's more certainty about what your roster looks like post expansion draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, you know, if there's a hockey trade, on the table that's pre-expansion draft that looks pretty appetizing. You know, I could see Doug doing something. He's Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues insider for The Athletic. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. BK is out today. We'll take a break and come back. T-Bone posed a great question last night after that game one between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. Are the Blues more like the Islanders or the Lightning? I want to get Jeremy's thoughts on that when we come back next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Jeremy 
Rutherford in studio with us. Of course, the Blues insider of The Athletic. He is here until 1 o'clock today. Then Brad Thompson's going to jump in. Got a rotating door, but a bunch of fun guys in studio with us. Oscar Sunquist is going to be joining us at 1245 today. Get a chance to hear from Sonny as we do the post-We Went Blues celebration. Of course, that was on Saturday, the two-year anniversary of that Stanley Cup championship. Did you watch any of that game or listen to any of that, JR, while yeah, you were on the bit. move? Yeah, caught some highlights. Yeah. I, I, I was sitting at home watching it. Uh, we had a family barbecue and had the game on and we're and we're watching it we're kind of reminiscing with it because my wife during I was in Boston of course and my wife was at home watching it and she was asking me all these questions of what was going on it feels like it was last year where now it's two years separated from that Stanley Cup championship but just watching that game, you remember every little moment from it, right? Like you remember the Bennington save. You remember the the late shift by Brad Marchand as he jumps off the ice. And of course, Petro scores that goal. All of those moments just kind of came flushing back in, which is so cool to know that every year on June 12th, we're going to have that. You know what was cool uh, for me watching uh, this past week and see some of the anniversary pieces is the crowd reaction. Because as you just said, we're in the press box in Boston and things are going on in front of us on the ice. The minute the horn sounded, I think I've told this, but just quickly, is... I had a prearranged phone call with Scotty Bowman. If the Blues win, I'm going to call you. So 10 seconds after the Blues win, I'm in a back hallway calling Scotty Bowman saying, hey, what do you think about this for St. Louis? And and listening to him was terrific. But the reaction back at Bush Stadium, back at the watch party at Enterprise Center. Ballpark Village. Ballpark Village. Those are the things. So I actually haven't seen a lot of that over the past two years. Uh, So to see it this past weekend where you just see Enterprise Center. And I'm telling you. Anybody who went to any of those watch parties at Enterprise Center, doesn't have to be Game 7, could have been any of them. I've seen these, talked to these people, and they say it was as loud as any hockey game they've been to, any concert, any, yeah. anything. And uh, I just, it gives you goosebumps thinking about I, it. I know, I was watching it, and I commented to my wife Katie while we were, and of course they showed all of those watch parties, and it's like, you forget how many people were out and watching that game at the time? Ballpark Village was shoulder to shoulder. You mentioned Enterprise Center. I mean, they had outside watch parties on Market Street. They had people at Bush Stadium where it was raining at the time. Like, a lot of people came out for that, and you forget it. And I told Katie, I said, the one thing, and look, I am grateful for the opportunity that I got to be in Boston. I am so happy that I was on the ice for that celebration and to be able to interview those players. But the video popped up on my Facebook the other day of my dad watching it at home. And I told her, I said, the one thing that I wish I could go back and do is to be with my dad during that one. That's why I wanted Game 6 to happen so bad, which I'm sure a lot of people did, because you could be there with the significant other or your parent or your brother or your sister when it happened. And I told her, I said, that's the one thing because it's video of my dad, like cheering in his basement, watching. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I wish I could have been there to celebrate. Just imagine all those people embracing, you know, father, son, mother, daughter, father, daughter, just all the embracing and the tears shed. What, what a moment. It's unbelievable. And you're watching kind of the next team that could be doing that right now is it's down to the final four. You got Montreal and Vegas starting game one of their round tonight. And then last night or yesterday, it was the Islanders um, taking on the, Tampa Bay Lightning, of course, the reigning Stanley Cup champion. And JR, T-Bone posed a great question to me last night after that game, and it made me think. He asked, or T-Bone, you said that you felt like the Blues were a comp to what Tampa is right now, correct? Correct. And I and I thought about it for a minute, and I said, I don't know if they are Tampa, because Tampa has Stamkos. They have Kucherov. They have the best goaltender in the National Hockey League in Andre Vasilevsky. They have Victor Hedman, one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League. I feel like the Blues are more like the New York Islanders. 
Like, I feel like they've they've reached the mountaintop. The Islanders are trying to reach the mountaintop with this team. But if the Islanders are able to get there this year, I feel like Doug Armstrong and company looks at the Islanders and say, this is what we need to do to get back to it. Because they're very similar. The Islanders have a goaltender. He might not be the top goaltender in the National Hockey League, but he's top 10. Semyon Varlamov has played right. that way. They don't have a first overall defenseman who's been a draft pick. They don't have a top defenseman, but they have a defensive core that works really well together. They don't have a superstar, a best player in the National Hockey League. Matthew Barzell, Barzell is up there, but he's comparable to kind of what Ryan O'Reilly is on the Blues roster. And I look at the Islanders and I say, the Blues are the Islanders. What the Blues are missing is what Lou Lamarillo did at the trade deadline. He went and got Kyle Palmieri. He went and got Travis Zajac. He went and got Andy Green. He got complimentary pieces to a team that had the championship window open. And I feel like the Blues are right there. Yeah, I feel like if I think about the two teams, I don't know that they're you know identical to either one. Certainly not identical to Tampa Bay. Although you know you see some of these young players like a Cairo, like a Robert Thomas when he's playing right. well. You know maybe they could get to a point where there's more skill infused in the lineup. They could be a, a Tampa Bay. I, I guess if you have to pick one, they're closer to the Islanders. And I think you make some some good points here. To me, what makes the Islanders so successful is just playing hard and playing for each other. And, yeah. and like you said, not really a star. Barzell is terrific, and he, he's going to get even better. Uh, but every time I watch the Islanders play they're just making the right plays and a lot of that's coaching but it's also these these guys executing and so you know big huge win in, in game one against uh, Tampa Bay and so to me when I look at them and you try to make some sort of comparison to the Blues the Blues were that a couple years ago so I don't know it's where the Blues are going to copy the New York Islanders I think the Blues were that were hard-working team yeah. who had some of the players that you mentioned the O'Reilly's and, and then so if the Blues can get back to that, back to who they were, you can incorporate some skill. And there's been a lot of talk about that in the offseason, you know, adding rush players. And is it changing the Blues style of play? I don't think it's necessarily changing their style of play just as long as they come to work every night. And right. they didn't do that last year, in part because of the injury. So to me, if you can get uh, back on, on, on that page, then to me, you're playing like the Islanders have shown. Yeah, well, and that's it. Too. And that's why I think it's not so much... Yes, you want a top left winger and you want a superstar that can do that, like a Matthew Kachuk or a Landis Gager, whomever we've thrown out there over these last couple of weeks. But you want, a, you want a complimentary piece to the team, right? Like you want a guy who matches what the Blues do. And you're right, watching the Islanders play and really all four of the teams in this playoff right now, they all play the style that the Blues won the cup with. And I know a lot of people said, oh, well, it's speed, it's run and gun style. That's what wins games now. Not when it comes to the third and fourth round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? That's the physical play in front of the net, like cycling the puck. So when you look at this blues team and we've talked about a left wing that can play up there, a defenseman who plays dirty in front of the net, who clears the net for Jordan Bennington, you're those pieces away. Whereas I think a lot of people look at this team and say, Oh man, they need a lot right now because they don't have Joel Edmondson who's in the playoffs still. They don't have Ryan Reeves, Pat Maroon, Alex Petrangelo. No, they don't. But the style of play that the Blues do, if they get back to it, can get them there. It's just a couple of pieces that they probably put them over the top. Yeah, I think they can. And if it becomes a piece that they add that is that skill guy who can score you 25, 30 goals, great. Nobody's looking to add you know, more grinders and say, hey, let's go after that slow, bigger team You know, that was the Blues 10 years ago. Right. Uh, even though that's the style of play that you won with. You know, We talked to Craig Bruby a few weeks ago, and he said, hey, I'm perfectly fine with those types of players. Nobody's going out telling Jordan... 
not to create rush plays. Like right. that, that's what they want. Um, and one thing I also want to make clear is because uh, I saw the reaction when I said and wrote some things that the Blues could use a big rugged defenseman back there. Oh yeah, let's let's get bigger and slower. Okay, well, <laughs> where is there a Cal McCarr available? Like yeah. you, you can't; th- those guys aren't available. You have to deal in the here and now. And so if that guy's out there and you want to pay him, whether it was Alex Petrangelo or whether it was you know somebody else, they're not available. So if you can't get the puck out of your zone. Teams like Colorado are going to set up shop and get that offensive zone time. And if you're not clearing the net, they're scoring. That's just what they do. So if you don't have the Cal McCarr, you don't have those types of players who can control the game and get the puck out of the zone, which the Blues do have some guys who can do that. They have to do a better job of it. So I'm not saying go out and get the six foot seven, you know, two hundred and fifty pound guy just because Jamie Alexiak. Yeah, Jamie Alexiak. Just because you want to go out and, and be that type of team. It's because what we saw last year, there weren't guys willing to go to the net on either side of the ice. Net front presence for offense or to clear the box defensively and the Blues, I think, have to do something to address that. Uh, and then you definitely have to look at it. And I've, I've heard, seen people on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 mentioning, oh, what about a Dougie Hamilton or Seth Jones? Those are awesome acquisitions, but those are also guys that are going to be making the same amount or more than Tory Krug, than Justin Falk, than what Colton Pareko is going to be making. I think the core pieces are in place for what your defense is going to look like. It's a matter of adding the complementary pieces, which is kind of the point I was making to the comp of the Islanders. Like, if you look at the Islanders, you know they have a Scott Mayfield who's a top defenseman they have a Nick Letty but they also have an Andy Green they also have some of these guys who play on the second and third pairing kind of like what Carl Gunnarsson and Joel Edmondson were for the Blues in that cup run those are the pieces that I think Doug Armstrong needs rather than a guy who jumps in and becomes a number one defenseman for them yeah and and I realize Dougie Hamilton's a free agent and they could just sign him but let's just use Seth Jones for example people say hey go get Seth Jones listen you had that guy. You had Alex Petrangelo and you didn't have to give up assets for him. You could re-sign him and you didn't. So now you go up and give assets to get Seth Jones and then give him a big contract. You're just spinning in circles. So there has to be some sort of blueprint. Look, I know you can't control all the negotiations and what happens and, you know, guys get away. I I totally understand that, but you just can't spin in circles with that situation. So, Hey, if there's a guy available, the cost is reasonable, you know, make it make sense, I suppose. Uh, But in the meantime, the blues have some issues because they don't have that type of player or those types of players that they're going to have to address. It's going to be an interesting offseason. And again, it starts with that expansion draft, which is July 21st, correct, JR? July 21st, yeah. that expansion draft. And then, of course, they got the NHL draft. And then if you get the opening of free agency. It's 1232, your time check presented by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll open up the junk drawer because I think T-Bone's got a couple of vacation junk drawer stories next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. A team that was in last place on January 3rd. The players on the bench are bouncing up. History will be made tonight in Boston. 15 seconds to go as Shen blocks a puck to the corner. 10 seconds remaining. Get up, St. Louis. Get on your feet. Raise them high. Five seconds to go. And the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in 
franchise history. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on June 12th of 2019. Of course, a day that every Blues fan will remember the first ever Stanley Cup championship in franchise history. And of course, Saturday was We Went Blues Day, the two-year anniversary. So we thought, who better to talk to than a Stanley Cup champion, a part of that team? It's Oscar Sundquist as we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Time. Sonny, it is great to catch up with you, buddy. How are you today? Great being here. Uh, it's uh, really good, you know, uh, back to back to summer routines kind of and, and trying to get uh, get ready for next season. That's fantastic. Well, Sonny, I'm curious. You hear that call from Chris Kerber, and I'm sure you've heard it plenty of times since that Stanley Cup championship, but hearing it again two years later, what's the feelings? You still get goosebumps? Uh, yeah, I just can't say that. You still get, get goosebumps from it, and uh, obviously uh, uh, a great memory from... Uh, from just playing that game and coming back to to this city and just seeing seeing all the fans and how long how long the city has been waiting for for a, for a championship in, in hockey here. So it's uh, it was it was very special and it's still special to this day. Oscar, I have a question here, kind of a two parter. First uh, game two, your fellow uh, Swede Carl Gunnarsson. <laughs> ends it uh, in overtime boom boom Gunnarsson with the big goal just you know being on the bench out there for that goal what was that moment like to even up the series and know that uh, you guys are back in it uh, I mean I think I think that whole uh, that whole overtime from uh, from game two I don't think Boston touched the puck once uh, I think we were kind of all over them I think that was that was one of the points that uh, it really, we we felt like a team. Like we we got these guys. Like we we can beat these guys. And uh, like you said, when 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 Gunnarsson's shot went in there, it's, uh, it was just pure pure happiness from everyone. I think, yeah. Uh, especially with with Gunnarsson to be the guy that that gets to end that game, it was it was a very very special moment, and it was uh, it was amazing to be a part of yeah i wanted to ask you about that because sunny there in uh, boston they bring you out of the locker room out into the media area and there were two or three reporters around you i was one of them and i asked you did anything take place in the locker room and take us through that story when i asked you that you said <laughs> <laughs> can you tell the chief uh, and, the, and the gunny story yeah uh i mean obviously right before the third period uh ended there gunners and had a I think even an even harder shot on the on the post. Uh, just just sitting in the locker room, you know, we're doing usually doing our thing. Uh, Gunnarsson goes to to take a take a piss basically, and, and Chief comes in, uh, and and uh, Gunnarsson just turns over to him, and all I need is one more chance, and that's, that was true. He just needed one more chance, man. He went in, so it was it's kind of a hilarious story now afterwards, like. When you actually got to know the store and they told us, it was like, "Wow, that planned out perfectly." <laughs> yeah, and Oscar, when you said that in that post game, I remember looking at you, looking at you, and saying, "Come again? Did he just say what I thought?" <laughs> yeah. <that he> <laughs> yeah, it looked like you didn't believe, believe me first, but Sonny, <laughs> I to this day say that the Blues need to have like a bronze statue inside Enterprise Center, and they need to put a Carl Gunnarsson statue at a urinal so like people can take pictures next to it, like <laughs> commemorating the Carl Gunnarsson game two overtime game winner. 
Yeah, that would have been something. That would have been awesome. I would have been the first one to take a picture with that, I think. <laughs> That's awesome. We're talking with Oscar Sundquist, of course, Blues forward and Stanley Cup champion as we're going back and reliving that uh, Stanley Cup champion run back in 2018-2019. Of course, Saturday was the two-year anniversary of the Blues Stanley Cup championship. Sonny, when you go back and look through those series, and of course, everyone talks about it still, of just kind of the, the adversity you guys had to deal with, of going from last to first, and then winning the Stanley Cup, but the the series that still gets me to this day is the Dallas Stars one. I mean, that one was so close. From a player perspective, in a locker room when you're going into double overtime of a game where Ben Bishop and Jordan Bennington had been stealing the show, I mean, how does a team keep their, their heads level knowing that you're a bounce away from either going to the Western Conference final or a season ending? Uh, I think I think that was with our group, especially, it was, uh, it was something unique. We were all all really calm. We all just kind of pushed forward and said, "We just keep going, keep going." Like they can't, they can't keep up anymore. They're getting tired, uh, stuff like that. And then obviously, obviously, when you're when you're done with the first overtime, you go into locker room again, waiting for the second one. You need to kind of start fueling up again because you obviously you're getting tired. Uh, but you try to eat as much as possible and, and try to get something in you and. and just go out there. I think our whole our whole group was just so calm, is so so positive, and just believe believe in ourselves. And uh, I, I kind of, even though it was double overtime, I was I was never never really worried. Uh, knew we had dinner back there, and and the whole team was just uh, like a just like a big machine, just working together and working to same to the same to the same goal, kind of. So. Uh, it was it was something special, uh, but as you said, like that Dallas series was was uh, was something special. It was probably one of the the hardest ones too. Oscar, here we are two years later, two years removed from that. And any time any of us get into a conversation about the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, the, one of the first things that's brought up is the play of that fourth line. You know, now looking back, what allowed you guys to be so successful against those top units of Boston? Uh, I mean, I think obviously we. we we had Alexander Steen on our line, and, and a guy like that is is very very helpful when it comes to on the bench and on the ice and all that stuff, and making us be be prepared. And uh, like he he really glued us together, us three, and uh, he kind of worked with with me and Barbashev a lot, and uh, got that we we got the chemistry that we, that we had. Like we. I'd say every interview that you you asked me to, I said I could play blindfold. I knew exactly where both Steen and Barbashev were. So uh, I think that that uh, that's I need to give a lot of credit for, to Steen for that one. Uh, he, he's got a special special ability when it comes to really really making guys uh, feel feel part of everything and really getting everyone connected. And uh, Sonny talking with uh, Oscar Sundquist, the Blue Stanley Cup champion and a big part of this team uh, still. I remember interviewing you, asking you for an untold story from Game 7 of the Stanley Cup and you told me a story that uh, after the game, you guys are in the locker room celebrating and Blues general manager Doug Armstrong comes in and of course you came over in that trade from Pittsburgh and nobody knew you were going to be a future Hall of Famer (laughs) when you came over in that trade. Uh, But uh, what did uh, Doug Armstrong tell you in the locker room? Uh, I was kind of, I was kind of, you know, Boston's kind of like two separate locker rooms. It's one like where, where you put the gear on, and then obviously the other one where you put your your suits on and stuff like that. So I was kind of just standing in there, uh, 
taking a taking a moment, just looking through my phone and stuff like that real quick. And uh, Army kind of comes up from behind. Uh, first of all, he's scared the crap out of me uh, <laughs> when he did that. Uh, I was- yeah, he, he did. That. He, he of course made you feel good about that uh, situation oh, because yeah. uh, because they, you know, when they traded you, they didn't know what they were trading, and I think Sidney Crosby said at one point, uh, he said that's a guy that we yeah. shouldn't have let go. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was I wasn't really it was came, came kind of like a shock for me too with the trade and everything and uh, getting getting into a new place a new city uh, didn't really know what to do once again Steen and Gunnarsson and all these guys took really good care of me and uh, today I can I can say that I'm really really glad that that trade happened and that I ended up to to come to St. Louis and get to know all the people here and uh, play for the city and, and uh, just be a part of uh, everything that we've, we've been through. It's uh, it's been an awesome awesome ride, and hopefully it's going to be a a few more years of that. Couple more questions for Oscar Sunquist. Appreciate him hopping on with us. Great to catch up with Sonny. I'm curious. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you kind of how the off season is going for you. Of course, that that injury that took place where you missed the rest of the season. How has how have things been going? And you feel like things are trending in the right direction for you health wise. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously tough to tough to get a season season ending injury. Uh, it's it's very fun to just look look from the side and, and know that you can you can help. Uh, but yeah, right now it feels it feels uh, much better. Uh, we're on we're on track with uh, where I'm supposed to be, and uh, we just keep working every day and trying to get get uh, get this uh, done as quick as possible, so I can be so I can be ready. Hopefully. Hopefully, when the season starts, that we don't know that yet, but uh, I won't miss uh, I won't miss a lot of games. That's for sure. Yeah, and Oscar uh, up here, uh, it was a tough series to watch Blues versus uh, Colorado and these teams. Colorado and now Vegas just look really good. And it's going to be a good Stanley Cup final. Had breakfast the other day with David Perron, and he said he doesn't feel like you guys are that far away if you get back to playing the type of style that you can play. And he believes that Doug Armstrong will have a good off season here, maybe retooling the team a bit. You guys aren't that far. Just your thoughts on where the team's at and being more competitive next season. Well, I, th- I think uh, I think what uh, Peron said is he's right. I, I don't think we're far off, uh, but I think it's that we we kind of we kind of lost our um, our game a little bit uh, throughout the whole season. Almost it felt like, and we need to get back to being that uh, consistent team. You know that we were when we when we won the cup because that's why we won. We were playing a hard game. We were playing the same same style every single shift in all four lines so we kind of just need to get back to that to, to find our uh find our groove again and, and just come back and uh keep that for for a full season not for a for just a couple parts during the season we need to we need to be dialed in the whole the whole season and uh i'm not worried about this group uh i mean we got great leadership here so uh i know that we're gonna we're gonna come back next season and we're gonna be we're gonna be hungry, and we're gonna we're not gonna allow ourselves to happen what happened this year. Well, we're looking forward to that, Sonny. Thank you again for taking some time this afternoon and hopping on with us and kind of reminiscing about that Stanley Cup run. Of course, it's a moment that Blues fans will remember for the rest of their lives, and I know you and your family and your teammates will as well, buddy. Best of luck this off season with the healing process and the recovery, and we look forward to seeing you next season. 
perfect. Thank you for having me, guys. Awesome. There you go. Oscar Sundquist joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And those stories will never get old, JR. Yeah, that's great stuff. Great stuff. And good to hear that he's doing well. Sounds yeah. like uh, he says there's a potential to miss uh, part of the, yeah. the start of the season, but he doesn't think that it would be anything uh, too Which makes sense big. because it was the ACL. And, uh, of course, we've seen that injury with Jaden Schwartz in the past. We've seen a number of times where it takes some time to heal. But the good news is, you know, Oscar Sundquist, he's a worker, and uh, he'll be back uh, in no time and hopefully back to 100%, which because they, they needed him in that postseason. We run. all know that they're a much different team with and without him. Amen to that. JR, hey, man, thank yeah. you so much for joining us this hour. It's been fun to get a little hockey conversation in. Enjoy the uh, offseason. Get some more tan, I guess. Maybe the upper <laughs> arms this time. Go sleeveless. Yeah, no show sleeves. those, no show those guns off a little bit. But thanks again, buddy, yep. and good luck the rest of the way. Good to see you guys. All right, there you go, Jeremy Rutherford. We'll take a break and switch things up. Brad Thompson, a little baseball conversation for the next hour comes your way next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And it might not just be like purely cash. It could be player transaction or player talent. And, you know, our, our minor league system is fairly unique in the sense that we have some really like top level or elite talent. And then we might have a little bit more of a gap between that next level. And so just want to be very careful. We're, we're, we certainly want to win this year, but I don't think we're going to do it at the expense of our, our future um, when you're trying to think about how to solve this problem. It's Cardinals, Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozalak on the team's flagship radio station, along with Tanner Hendricks and Alex Ferrario. Brad Thompson is hopping in with us as he's getting off early today for the fast lane. So he's going to join us for this last hour to get a little Cardinals conversation. Well, great. I was hoping we could just talk hockey or something. Well, um, I didn't tell maybe, you, but we have three more hockey segments planned. Great. That just sounds better. Here. Let's talk Golden Knights, Canadians. Yep. Uh, I think okay. that we can get into that a little We're, bit. Well, the Canadians are obviously winning that series. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't, but who knows? They've been on a magical run thus far. <laughs> you want to talk Cardinals, though, don't yeah, you? Yeah, we're getting into Cardinals I'm sure everybody's... Uh, how's the text line been today? Been oh. pretty good? Pretty happy? Well, you know, we got away from it for an hour in hockey, so we figured that, you know, the doom and gloom would go away for a little bit. Everybody no. was nice to Katie Wu, at least, right? Very nice to okay, Katie good. Wu. And very nice to Danny Mack, and then it was just kind of shots fired at T-Bone and I. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's fine. You know, we're soft. We give them excuses. Everything that goes with it. Okay, no, it's fine. That's what well, happens. Let's figure it all out right now. Well, let's, let's talk about this, though, BT, because, look, Cardinals are struggling. I think it's plain and simple. The Cubs, they've won five in a row. The Brewers, nine and one. Reds, eight and two in their last ten. The NL Central's heating up, but the Cardinals are not. Yeah. And as we heard just John Mosellock there mention, they are getting into a desperate situation of possibly needing a move to make things right. This is this statement is going to make zero sense. That's fine. And maybe all the sense. I do like, that a lot. I don't see how this team doesn't make a move. Yeah. I also don't see how they make a move. <laughs> like like the, the way that I look That's at it. Like, in my life. Like this team, they desperately need some starting pitching. Yeah. Up. Like if we're just starting a baseline, desperately, mm-hmm. you lose three-fifths of your rotation. I know that Kim's going to be back uh, very soon, but still, like you need more help. You needed help before the injuries. Like you needed more depth. Yeah. You certainly need it now. But... How you make a deal goes back to Mo's comment, right? It's like, I, I think that we're going to do something, but we're not willing to sacrifice the future to right. do so. And again, I'm paraphrasing what, what he said. I don't see how you make a deal like right here, right now, without somebody trying to steal from you, basically. It's like, right. oh, yeah, you're calling the twins, for example. Say, hey, we'd like Michael Pineda. Okay, well, that would have cost you uh, X, but now it's going to cost you this because we know that you need it. Like, leverage is a real thing. Right. Now, you can wait a little bit longer and then 
and more teams get into it, then maybe the asking price isn't going to be what it is for some of these guys. Or maybe it goes higher because because you wait longer and more teams are in on them. But by that time, are you really going to be in a position to make a move? Like from what I've seen from the Cubs right now, their game plan has had to have changed of what they were going to do. Because we all know this is a team. As soon as they traded you Darvish, this was a team that was going to they were selling off this year. People, yeah, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, two of those three were going to be gone before the trade deadline. For this sure. Season. And now Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant was like the likely candidate, yeah. right? Yeah, we, we know the bad blood between the two of them. Uh, we also know that they've tried to have a multi-year contract extension. It wasn't happening. Well, look at the numbers that he's putting up now. He is like a guy again. And now how could you look your team in the face if you're in first place and say, mm, our plan's our plan? <laughs> no, it's not. Like your plan's your plan if you're the Marlins yeah. or your plan is your plan if you are the Rays who yeah. continually just do stuff with a low payroll. Or the Oakland Athletics. But the Cubs have no business having a our plans our plan <laughs> when they're a huge market team. Like right. like if you have a team that's fortunate enough, and they know this more than, than anybody, having a hundred and uh, however many years of, of a drought of winning a World Series, how hard it is to come by these things. But I look at that, I look at them as a team that is going to probably build. Like they will add, uh, shockingly, they're a U Darvish away from being a really good team. Like yep. They could use that. I look at the Brewers as a team that would like to add a little bit. And how about the, the random little trade that they make? Uh, they, they pick yeah, up Adamas. 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 And then all of a sudden their offense is clicking because like one random piece fit in. He's not a big offensive player, but the offense has been a lot better since that trade. And it's been a different energy around the ball club. So when I hear Mo talk about changes that need to be made, like I wonder if it's some sort of an energy piece, like like where you look at it, looking back to like the Joe Kelly deal the years ago. Yep. yep. And so you bring in the sandpaper, right? You bring the grid in and all of, a, all of a sudden things change a little bit. And I think that this, I don't believe that this clubhouse is locking in grid or lacking in grid, but mm-hmm. maybe there's some other personality or some other component that you can shift a little bit because sitting here and just hoping that things end up getting better, it ain't going to work. Yeah, well, and it's it's eerily similar to what most comments were when they made the move for John Lackey, where he said, we just felt like we needed to shake some things up and get a different chemistry. And then, of course, John Lackey comes in, and we all know what happened from there. Uh, but because of the Cubs, Brewers, and Reds play, BT, I, I hate saying does it force a move because you know what John Moselock's answer is going to be to that. Oh, you're, we're not going to make a move just because we need to make a move or because the NL Central's playing. We need to focus on our own game. But you do look at your system, and Mo said it there. There's a drop-off between your top prospects like a Nolan Gorman and a Matthew Libertor and an Yvonne Herrera to the next-level guys like the Jordan Walkers and the Mason, Mason Wins yeah. that are in the single-A. Like, you don't have those double-A, triple-A players that either can be called up to play at the major league level right now or would be desirable in a trade from other teams. So people talk about Texas Rangers and Kyle Gibson, right? That's B, That's BK's guy, Gibby. Yeah, I like Gibby. People talk about the Diamondbacks or the Detroit Tigers to try and make moves with them. But if you're either of those three teams, you're not going to make a move now for a, as Buster only put it, a B-minus prospect where you can wait till the trade deadline and watch the stock of Kyle Gibson rise and then get something a little bit higher. And right now, if the Cardinals are calling, you're not asking for a 
you know, Angel Rondon to come over in the trade, you're asking for Nolan Gorman or Zach Thompson. Yeah, I, I want, as a team that is on the selling end, I want as many teams in as possible. And mm-hmm. if I'm going to make a deal right now, I have to know it's a deal that is right for me and for my organization going forward. So uh, that that comes to, like, knowing the stock of your player, uh, looking out at, at the forecast and seeing, you know, what, what other teams are going to be looking for. But it's, it's an unenviable spot. And it's one that, unfortunately, right now, uh, like... One trade does not make this team no. better. You go make a use Kyle Gibson. Like yep. You're able to float a trade. Forget the back end of the trade. Anthony Stalter likes to make these trades all the time. Just throw people. Yeah, off he traded for like he got like ten players. Our big league team was really good, but he never paid he off like the Aaron back Judge end of and it. Mike Trout. He got a lot of players. It was a really good ball club. And if you put it out on Twitter, people are like hell yeah, give us that club. <laughs> Mo, do what Anthony this an said. All star trade. Yeah, none of the back end of the stuff was there. But like I still look at this and say, if you got Kyle Gibson, for instance, yes, he's going to help your rotation. You could use uh, that bit to be solidified. Right. Like, what's it going to do for the offense? Like, you have offensive pieces here. This offense has been lackluster. If I am Mo, if I'm Gersh, if I'm the front office looking at this ball club, like, my thought is, you guys need to prove to me that I need to make you better. Yeah. Because we've got pieces in place, and yes, there's still injuries. Bader's still out, solidifies things in the outfield a little bit, bolsters your bench a little bit when Harrison Bader ends up being back, and other guys kind of get get forced into their, well, right positions. Like, Tommy Edmond needs to be playing second base I every agree. single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't don't know if I make a move just to make a move if they don't prove to me that I need to make a move to right. do something special. Well, in the next three series kind of is that measuring stick if you're the front office, isn't it, BT? Because you're taking on teams that don't have winning records. You're talking about the Marlins tonight. You're talking about the Pirates, I believe. You got the Diamondbacks thrown in there. You're taking on teams that aren't going to be making the playoffs. That's your measuring stick if you're the front office to say, okay, show us that we have to go make a move for you. It's a great opportunity for a ball club. Like, that's the way that they have to be looking at it. Now, organizationally, like, uh, again, from a higher view, I still have to look at that and say, okay, well, look who they're playing. Because we watched them go take three of four from the Diamondbacks, and then that was the last series they've won. We've seen them get stomped by better teams uh, here since then. So you take stock in that, but it's all about the eyeball test. Like, if my guys uh, are, are driving the baseball, if we're scoring a bunch of runs, if things look different, then maybe I want to do different things. But the trade market is an inter- or a trade market is interesting. There's a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. Something that our, our guest coming up might know a little bit about. Alex. That's right, John Buck, of course, the former major league catcher, 11 year career, six years in KC, two in Miami. He was an All Star in 2010. He's been traded a lot. BT and I will talk about that and more with John Buck next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Along with World Series champion Brad Thompson and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. BT sitting in for BK in this final hour. BK will be back with us tomorrow as we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome in a former Major League catcher, 11-year career, six years played with the Kansas City Royals, two years with the Miami Marlins. He is John Buck. John, it is great to have you today. How are you, sir? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Well, hey, BT and I were just having a conversation. Of course, a lot of people around St. Louis are calling for trades from John Mozeliak and the Cardinals uh, before this trade deadline. You have been involved in plenty of big-time trades in your Major League Baseball career. I'm just curious, just from a, a chemistry situation, when teams start calling for trades, what's that like in the clubhouse? What's that like in a locker room? Um, I think uh, it, it kind of depends on the person that's involved in the trade. Cause I think that could change the, the perception of what's going on in the clubhouse. Like if it's a veteran 
getting ready to get traded for or whatnot like that, that, that could change the whole dynamic. So like when I was getting traded to go be with the angels and, and those type of things, it was, it was a good thing. Cause I think I was adding a piece that wasn't a big, huge, like you're moving half your organization. When that happens, it, it can, there's all sorts of challenges that come up when you do that. So I think in my regard that the trades I was involved in, it always felt like it was an added plus and welcomed in the thing is when you go into a chemistry atmosphere of a clubhouse and they're winning, it's, you see why they're winning. When you walk in there, it's like, Whoa, these guys are having fun. You know, I get get to be a part of it. So that was always, I felt like I was added to what was already good going. So my, my experience, it was always good. Where did you have that feeling the most, John? Like, like where you got traded over and said, Whoa, this is a good spot. Well, the weird thing is where I felt the most comfortable was actually when I signed hmm. when Kansas city, what happened was, is I left Kansas city where I wasn't, you know, arbit- this is when the money, I guess, in trades, it's not necessarily a, tr- a trade, but all right, buddy. See it. Sorry. Good. Ball teams walking through the backyard. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> right. Boys got to keep working. <laughs> right. Uh, they just got hit, done hitting the cage and they're walking in the pool. But, uh, it's all launch anyway. angle there, right? It's all about home runs. That's it. I don't care about contact yeah. or strikeouts. Is that what you're teaching? Dude, you, you said launching. That's like saying a cuss word. <laughs> I love it. That is the last thing I'm thinking about, launch angle. That's, that thing is going 104 out of Chapman's hand. I go launch angle. Like, I think launch angle by you. I, that's where your thought process, if that's what you're thinking. We're going to get back to that. I, I, we're going to get back to that for sure. Tell us about the trade, though. Like You, yeah, you got so our, our so signing. My, my, thing, my, my thing is going to Toronto after the Leeds. And, and this is a thing to uh, uh, Dayton more is when I left there, if he made me feel like you're, like you're too good, we can't afford you. Whether I was or not. That's Dayton Moore sending off a player to be the best he can be, right? That's great. Um, he obviously made the great moves to what he did and who he had coming in and World Series to prove it. And and used me as a tool to clear whatever was coming, right, to have Kendall come in. But me going into Toronto, that chemistry with Vernon Wells, Hill, Bautista, Encarnacion with Cito Gaston, it was the first time I had veterans around me that I was learning from because I was always in a clubhouse of young. It was the first like, Oh, this is a big league clubhouse. Cause it, before it was Matt stairs, Graffinino and stairs raising children <laughs> with Zach and I, right. Zach couldn't talk to people. I was angry little elf trying to hit homers as a catcher, not even worried about defense. And it was, that was the, you know, what Buddy Bill and, and then when I went into Toronto, then I got what trades and what chemistry in the clubhouse really was. So that was the big moment for me that would, it's like, oh, here we go. It's fantastic. Vernon and I and, and everybody was looking out in the stands for relay and signs. Remember how they thought there was some camera or some dude out there for Jose? Yeah. Remember all that? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That, they forgot to look at me and Lyle standing on deck or at first base. That's as simple as where we were, the way we'd stand up like, and how I would be able to pick up what the catcher's doing and what the pitcher's doing. Mind you, Cito Gaston, the greatest in the game. Why did I hit 20 home runs having Cito Gaston like, dude, when he fans his glove like that, if you don't, if you don't 
swing at a breaking ball or strike out on looking on a fastball, I'm mad at you. So it was like, all right, I get to go up there and hit a home run derby on a curveball or watch the fastball go by by my manager. And it, that vote of confidence was that, that was that team chemistry. It was like Vernon walking around the clubhouse, homers and punchies, homers and punchies. <laughs> we all of, that's why all of us had 20 bombs. Is that chemistry that's special? When I I think of that, and I I mean this with with all due respect to you and to the Royals organization, I played a little bit for uh, as well, and uh, honestly, Dayton didn't make me feel as good when he let me go (laughs) because my ERA was north of six. But, like, do you feel like when you you learned those things and you had those experiences and you had those teammates, like, with Toronto, did you almost look at that and say, God dang it, what the heck was the the last handful of years? Like, you almost felt gypped a little bit. Well, I, I... You could look at it that way, right? Because they we did we were that small market team and all those frustration things, right? In prime years, so to say, right? But I why I got to go on that team with Anaheim and why Sosha wanted me, why I got to go on that Pittsburgh team and uh uh I'm forgetting manager, Colorado, then us in Pittsburgh. Hurdle. Thank you. All right. Why they want is the way he's philosophy they got to know how I thought and they knew I was going to be valuable because I was a chemistry guy in the clubhouse and I loved making my bullpen guys better. I loved perfecting that and I was good in that atmosphere and that's because how I was well-defined with learning how to get Zach to even talk to people <laughs> and then learning how to step in Matt Harvey's, you know, punch him in the nose, get a nosebleed to make him, you know, I can't do that to Zach and like and everything in between. I learned that in Kansas City because of those challenges. It was sucked. I got my ass kicked a lot. We did a lot. But look at those players that have gone on in roles. They they were all very successful in, in a lot of roles. And I think that's what I got out of Kansas City. So it's hard to be that hateful on it because maybe my glass is always half full. That's a great point. No, <laughs> really I, know, I know that's why I got those. those. You know, We're talking team chemistry. I know that's why I got those chances because Sosha told me so. He's like, you and I, Ned, are boys. Yeah, you know, get after it. You go help him with game planning. I was so in. I've never game planned ever. And it was, mind you, it was the Royals. All those kids that I grew up with. We're talking with against them. We're talking with former Major League catcher John Buck here uh, on BK and Ferrario. So, John, you saying that brings to mind Yachty or Molina here in St. Louis, and of course, you you saw Yachty play a wonderful game. Manager knows how to read his pitchers. How much respect do you have for a guy like Yachty or Molina from the path that you're talking about that you took? Dude, so here's Yachty and I. I was I have been called up, and I think I came down to rehab. I had got something right. He was in the Redbirds, or maybe we were right at the same time. He was younger, and I was Mr. Number One Prospect at the time, getting ready to get traded for Beltron, right? And he was there playing Memphis, just got there, but he's the young, like, hey, this is going to be a Molina, right? So, of course, I remember squaring myself up, and I'm like, yeah, I got him, which at that time, I may have got him because I was very toolsy, flat. You know, I was the build, hitting homers in AAA, and then he entered the big leagues while I was in the big leagues and proceeded to go past me at a flying speed that I was like, oh, he's that unicorn. I'm at this level. He's at that level. <laughs> There's the difference. He was starting development in AAA and then progressing in the big leagues where I was peaking as where I should be getting in the big leagues. That's that's how special it is. If I can kind of gauge that, people can kind of grasp that. It's 
He's he's really good. And I got to realize the knowledge that family has, having Jose as my backup in Toronto. Again, there's that Tim chemistry in that special place for me. I got to work out with him and Benji and, and Yachty like right before because we were down in South Florida where I lived. And gotten to hit, I spent two days working out, just working on throwing and how I, how I caught the ball, where I caught the ball, how I turned my wrist, these subtleties that – it's only going on at the table at this family's house, right? They're sharing these secrets, and I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> they're on another level right now, right? And I, and from those two or three sessions of working with Benji and Jose, and then that season with Jose having all that reiterated to me as I'm working with him, it was a game-changer year for me because of that again chemistry and he had and that's why why is jose and benji and yaddy all unsuccessful teams there's a common denominator there <laughs> they, they, they are successful but the great thing is too john like like exactly like what you're talking about the things that you learn right like like a next level of education that's what you gave players throughout your entire career is that next level right is that that advanced education and, and it brings the beginning of our conversation as the team is walking through your backyard and the game of baseball right now. First of all, why are you not coaching professionally currently? Like when I hear you talk and I know yeah. your background, like why is that not on the table for you now? A um, couple of reasons. One, and you know, I think you probably had this, there's this weird transition when you come out of baseball. Like I didn't want to roll right back into it. It's hard on the family. Like my main reason arena of my life is my family and if I don't have balance with that I'm not going to be the best manager I can be uh, so I wanted to come home and like in this transition like who, like who am I outside of baseball I'm more than a baseball and it took a little bit like I did a little long driving I did a little you know it took <laughs> some while to figure out who the heck I really was outside of being a catcher and so that was kind of, and I think if I really got the grasp of that and became a better dad and all these other arenas of life of who we are, I feel like it was going to make me a better manager when it's time. And that's, so that's how, when I stepped away from the game, I figured that's kind of what I was going to do. I had some things going on with the players union and stuff. It's actually in the collective bargaining room. It's called next level locker. Uh, the deal would have heavily favored the uh, players. So I, it didn't work. That's actually the reason I stepped away from the game early as I did, because it was a legitimate thing for the players, but that may be a whole nother radio show. Um, <laughs> but why I didn't go into managing, I wanted to realize who I was first before I went into lifestyle. And in the process of doing so, I've come across this conundrum of little league baseball of the parents thinking it's the coaches, the coaches thinking it's parents and the other coaches that think they're good they're just to get a trophy for themselves are destroying kids and giving them post-traumatic stress syndrome. I had a little brother who committed suicide, a mom's suicide. So the mental health arena, I'm very acute on. I'm very like growing up with psychologists and my dad, a doctor, it's something that's, I, I leaned into it. My brother didn't, I leaned into it. It made me better in the clubhouse as we're talking about chemistry. Um, I was, I started working with Jim Fannin, uh, he's America's zone coach. I met him through Alex Rodriguez while I was down uh, in Miami, living in that area, and worked on my mental game. And it's it's I've applied it to the little league and kind of got involved with my community here with this. And it's 
it's filled my cup. Where it leads to and where it goes as a managerial, I'm starting Little League and working my way up. Let's just, just, and however we go, I guess baseball seems to decide if you need to skip levels. So For we'll, sure. we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Well, I'll <laughs> say this, uh, John. It, it sounds like it feels like that you're in the right place. You're in the right yeah. place for, for a lot of kids. You're in the right place for, for yourself right now. And uh, look, uh, Mike Matheny uh, started out. He was doing, yep. he was doing uh, Little League. And then all of a sudden, boom, bing, bang, boom. Whenever the time is right for you, look, uh, you're going to be in how, there. Look how many times I've said in the paper, my idol that person that you would put on there why did i go to a weird helmet like that guy why do i you know why did i like that rollings glove when i was younger it's that guy oh he went i read that book i saw what he said oh really okay i'm gonna go from the bottom if i'm gonna be the greatest manager ever i'm gonna humble myself and be a seven-year-old eight-year-old manager and that's what I'm going to master first and work my way up. That sounds like Muthini because that's where I read it from. The John Buck Manifesto. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Already started chapter it. one. Buck, we, right. we appreciate you taking the time. I'd love to talk to you again, too, yeah. as the CBA comes up. Uh, you, you said you got a whole nother, uh, whole radio show as we get into all that stuff. So we really appreciate your time today. Thanks, man. It was fun. And, uh, uh, look forward to maybe chatting again. Absolutely. Definitely. Thanks, John. There you go. John Buck with us, uh, former major league catcher, 11 year career and little league coach right now, which sounds like he's going to be a big league coach sooner or later. Dude, a fantastic. Like human being. Yeah. So well respected in the game of baseball. And I love that. How you answer that about the Royals, like, mm-hmm. like, the, like those trials and having to go through the losing and mentor other players like that gave him further opportunities down the road. So well, uh, especially just coming from what he said about being on a young team, team and then going to a veteran team that kind of had it in place and then learning a different perspective and a little angle to it like you maybe that's the shakeup that they're talking about you know that's what you see from yep. teams where they move on from a younger piece and you try and get some of those veteran leaderships it's what the blues did when they were transitioning right it's what the cardinals did when they went out and got john lackey makes a lot of sense when he's talking about chemistry in a clubhouse there are different ways to do it Definitely. Brad Thompson, Alex Ferrario with you. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. We'll do a little game of in or out next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Text line is 65780. You give us a scenario and we'll tell you if we are in or out along with Brad Thompson, who is in for BK today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. Tanner Hendrickson back from vacation. I'm Alex Ferrario. BT, let's start with this. You have more questions than answers on this Cardinals team at Flag Day. In or out? Oh, I'm totally in. Yeah, I'm 100% in because I'm not a piece away from fixing anything right now. So, yeah, yeah, I I still believe, I know that there's more in the tank for this offense. Like, I know that group should be collectively better. Do I know that it's just going to happen tonight against the Marlins? No, like, I got a lot of questions right now. I feel like there's more questions now than there were at the beginning of the season. And at the beginning of the season, I still felt like there were a lot of questions. At least you were healthy at the healthy-ish, I guess, at the beginning of the season. You were short, I I believe you were short KK and Bader. Right? And Miles, too. Yeah. Those are the three yeah, that you were without. At least you knew you were going to be without him yeah. at the beginning of it. that's true. So you're still short a lot of these pieces yeah. right now. Uh, but I, we also saw this team like play some good baseball. Mm-hmm. I know that the, the opening week was kind of up and down, but then we saw really good baseball to them, so you know that it's there. But with all the dents in the starting pitching right now, I got a lot of questions right now. 
Fortunately, we got uh, some time about six weeks before the trade deadline to right. figure some things out. But the Cardinals need to. My my question is, will they be in a position come the trade deadline to actually pounce? That's a good point. T-Bone? I'm with you. I'm in there. To me, there are a lot more questions now. I, I agree with you, BT. I think the offense, we've seen what it can do. You've only had your ideal lineup three times this year so i i believe there are more questions the pitching's been the biggest disappointment for me as we have hit flag day we talked about it with uh john morosi before the season started and he said oh well you bullpen they may need to go at a bullpen arm well you looked at each other with bullpen arm they said, what's john morosi talking about <laughs> they don't need a bullpen arm the bullpen's gonna be fine and the bullpen's had its trouble the starting rotation has had its trouble even when it's been healthy at points at times it's looked great there, there are a lot of questions and i'm with you bt to me you can't fix it in one move yeah i'm in on this as well well, from the 314 in or out, the magic is gone for John Gant. Well, I'll say he uh, he showed his hand or he dropped the, <laughs> he dropped the deck of cards that he had. I- I'm out on this, though. I, I still believe that and maybe I'm just a, a John Gant supporter uh, with-, with nothing to back it up. I believe that he has, just looking at his arsenal, not looking at the five walks <laughs> in an inning, which is frowned upon and never, never results in something good. And, yeah. and it didn't. Uh, but I-, I look at his arsenal, I see a guy that should, if he figures out some way to corral it consistently, that he should get like deep into ball games or he should he should get tons of ground balls in early contact. Now, is, is he able to do that? Like, is he trying to be so fine or, if, or does he not have control of all the movement that he has? Yeah. But I'm out on this. I don't think that the magic is gone. I do think that given a move or two or some health, that magic could go back to the bullpen and then that could be a piece that you're missing. Yeah. I think I'm with you, too. I'm out. Yeah, you even, are, T. He, uh, T. Boom. <laughs> He's starting to switch it even, now. Even though early in the year I went, there's no way he can continue to do this. T. Bone reacted to John Gant the way Jamie reacts to Carlos Martinez. Why? That's true. Well, you know, that's a lot of base runners. That's a lot of walks. But he oh, got out of it. a lot. Yeah, yeah, but a he lot. got out. It's like Harry Houdini. You're better when the bases are loaded. He died, actually. Did he really? Yeah, I think that he got punched in the stomach because that was one of his tricks. Like, he let, like, Oh, so he didn't die during a magic stomach. trick, though. Well, kind of. It was like one of his tricks. But he wasn't ready for it. Some tough guy just punched him in the. Stomp. I don't know if <laughs> that's a go, urban legend or not. But wait, should we be concerned about Gant? Then? Di- no, he's not going to die. Nobody's going to punch oh, him. Yeah, in the whoa, that's whoa, not his whoa, trick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm, I'm sorry. His, his death is walking five in an inning, and <laughs> then know. they score. Death like of a pitcher is what yeah. it is. Death by a thousand balls. Yeah, uh, uh, sounds weird. Know about that one though. Yeah. I'm out on this one as well. I don't think the magic's going. I think it's the same as Carlos. You have a couple bad starts, then you rebound with a very. Characteristic start by Carlos Martinez with this one. 65780 Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. BT in or out. Cardinals will have three all stars by the start of that game. <sighs> um. I'm in. I'm in on this because I've got Yachty making the team. I've got Reyes being on the mm-hmm. team, and I've got Nolan Arenado. Yeah. So I'm in. So you have Yachty making the team. I do. Wow. Okay. Because. Katie Wu. He might not get voted in. No, yeah, that's He's what I mean by this, team. getting on the team. Because Katie Wu said Tyler O'Neill would be one of the, I like the people. Because I think Tyler does, too. I didn't even think of Yachty, but you think backup catcher to Buster. Yachty would be number two on the list. Man, you could legitimately see four guys on this because I'm with you. Alex Reyes, I think, is going to be an all-star because he's he's 100% in, in save scenarios. First career. Yeah, even if he hasn't been pitching that much as of late, he's still 100%. And I think the name recognition with Nolan Arenado, so man, there legitimately could be four people. So I guess I'm in on them, this one as well. I'm in two. I think Arenado gets in. Yachty gets in. I'm on the fence of Reyes. I agree he should be in. I just don't know if he will get in. And then I also think Tyler O'Neill deserves to be in. 
in the all-star category as well. I feel like Tommy Edmond a couple weeks ago, we were talking about his all-star case. I feel like his has really kind of it slipped. dropped yeah, off. It slipped. Yeah. I wonder if he needs to drop off for a little bit too. Like and day off or move him down in the lineup? Both, man. Maybe yeah. a little bit of both. Like, like right now, nothing should be off the table for the Cardinals. That's what I asked earlier. I said, because uh, Mo mentioned it on Sunday on that uh, on the, the flagship station's morning show that they're thinking about a shakeup. Now, I know a lot of people go to trades, but I'm wondering if they shake it up by, hey, let's just move some people around right now in this batting I would order. I say legitimately, We're gonna hit goal eighth. everything's on the, maybe not That's everything a little too aggressive. Almost everything. Right. Almost everything is on the table, but you you bring up Goldie, like, there needs to be more from Goldie. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if he's he's been nursing some sort of an injury. He had the back early. Right. Swing doesn't look the same. No. Like, it, like, it looks long, and it just doesn't look like the same The bat speed looks off, too, yeah. a little bit, doesn't you, it? You're gonna need him. Yeah. Big time. Big time need him. All right, final one for in around, and then we'll cross it over and get into a little bit of the uh, pitching substance situation that's coming up with baseball. In or out, BT has a play on the Spain-Sweden soccer game. Well, look, uh, Spain, I, I would believe before digging into this heavily, oh, in, in, <laughs> um, always uh, go for Spain. Uh, Sweden's not a high-scoring thing, but it, it just overall, like a rule of thumb, if you're looking for a play, bet the under, because nobody scores in soccer. They run all over the place. Sorry, you had me at, uh, before I dive too deep into this, I know yeah. you've already dove deep into this already. Well, I, I bet on England over the uh, over the weekend. Yeah, how'd that they go? couldn't pull out a win. They tied. Like like because that's oh. a thing in sports. The nil nil tie. And soccer? I didn't bet on the uh, tie no bet. I bet on the the England. You didn't side take of your it. insurance like in blackjack, well, right? Take Spain in the under and, and run with it. There you go. Parlay the two together. BT just dropping it like it's hot. We'll take a break and come back and cross it over. By the way, the time check is one forty eight. Brought to you by Clarkson Jeweler, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll come back and cross it over with BT before the fast lane next here on one. 1 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With the fast lane, of course, BT is in studio sitting in for BK this hour. Uh, he will be back with us tomorrow and the rest of the week. I know a lot of people, because of his retirement speech from Friday, BT, thought that BK was just done for. BK retired? Yeah, remember? you were? Oh, you he were did? here Friday. Oh, I forgot about this. No. BT, BK called a retirement ceremony on the crossover with Stoltz and Rivers. He's officially retired from softball. Oh, from softball? Yeah. He's officially retired from softball. Why? <laughs> I'm sorry. I almost got that he, out. he went on the air and he, he took questions and said he's done with the softball. He's too young to retire from anything, though, it's because true. here's going to be a thing. Like, maybe this home run derby, while it didn't go our way, maybe it sparked something. Maybe it sparked some sort of camaraderie here at 101 ESPN and Hubbard. And we I get feel a team closer. together. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, you and BK are super close. No, no that's okay. That, that, that hurt. With the, with the amount of home runs. Like, oh, well, we were Identical, maybe, actually. Maybe we spark something where we get a team and we all play. Like, don't retire now. Oh, I'm not retiring. You know maybe, what? I, I'm in my beer league, and it started two weeks ago, and I have the yips. I, <laughs> I have the yips, BT. Every time I step to the plate. You know what? I hear the kid in right field every time I go out there and play on Sunday afternoons. Hold on. Like, uh, explain it. Like, what, what are your yips like? My yips are I'm swinging uppercut at every ball now. because well, that's not the yips. You're just a bad hitter. Well, that's also very true. But, you know, last, you year, you last year I was a better hitter, and now I'm not. So. Did the derby do it to you? Yeah. The derby did it. This is serious? what home run derbies do. They right? mess up your swing. They ruin people. Now that happens. The guys Alvin who hit a Poulos lot of home runs. Went through this. 
Went through what? Went through going a through home the run derby without yeah. hitting a home run. No, after the home run derby, where he his his bat his swing was all messed up. Maybe a little off, but yeah, but we're in the same situation. No, we're not. No, okay. this is nowhere near. Fine. But don't retire. He shouldn't retire. You should stop swinging at everything. <laughs> it's not like they are. are Pardon my ignorance here, okay, no, too, when it, when it comes to beer league softball. Yeah. Like, are they trying to strike you no, out? Are no, they throwing, they're just, like, spinners they're just up trying there? trying to get it to the damn plate. Like, are, are they nasty breaking Yeah, balls? but there's, like, this unwritten rule in beer league softball where you don't take a walk. So, like, when the count's full and they're still throwing them wide, you go up there and swing because you're not going to let it go, and you don't want to take an easy base, right? Don't you want to improve the on base? Though? Yeah, OBP is life, and yeah, life is OBP. Adds to the OPS. Yeah, but then you're, the, then you're that guy who walked in beer league softball. Right, better yeah, than striking out, striking out in beer league. Have you yeah. struck out in beer league softball? No. Well, foul tip strikeout, but the, that that's counts. not the same thing. Uh, I think that counts. I think it's a strikeout. Yeah, yeah. but you still make contact How would it, it go down in the book? It, it would go down as a strikeout. That's a strikeout. Yeah. You know what, though? Don't feel bad. Uh, Dunk uh, D- Dunk called me. I, I've told you guys this before, but like uh, I had my 11, given up 11 runs in one inning yeah. thing that everybody <laughs> goes through. Everyone goes to it. Huh? Uh, everybody has those days. And I talked to Dunk the next day, and I was telling him about it. He's like, dude, that sucks. If it makes you feel any better, I struck out twice in beer league. <laughs> my buddy, that does make me feel better. I, I truly appreciate That's you sharing that That's a good friend and a good teammate. It's a great friend. Whoever like, does that and yeah, just makes in feel this better. together. So yeah, I feel his pain though. Two strikeouts in beer league softball, man. It it's happens. it's no fun. It happens. Did you guys give you any crap for oh, the home yeah. run derby it, thing? It's it's nonstop. It's nonstop. So I was at my my brother in law's house uh, last night because it was his birthday. We went over for a barbecue, and he's like, "Hey, would you mind going over and talk to my neighbor? He's a big fan of the show, and he wanted to say hi." I go, "Yeah, sure." Walked over there. First thing out of the guy's mouth was, "Boy, you sucked that home run derby, <laughs> big fan." And I I go, "Did I thought you wanted to say hi to me? I didn't know you wanted to insult me on the home run derby." It's fine. Big fan. It's fine. The ego has just dropped so low, it can't get any worse. No, that's the thing. The, yeah. the bar has been set low, and next time you come out, you're going to be the ringer. And no, next time I'm going to hit more than you and Stoltz combined. Because it's good. It's I want you to be that confident. It's not going to happen. Sure, you play softball all the time, and I had never played it before. Okay. That <laughs> felt unnecessary, BT. That felt unnecessary. BT mentioned Dunk, and it is Dunctionary Day on Wednesday at the Bud Deck at the Budweiser Brew House in Ballpark Village. There are only a few tables left for that Cardinals versus Marlins at 12.15 this Wednesday. Each of your four tickets at your table will include a hot dog, a beer, and a Dunctionary shirt, plus a portion of every table purchased is being donated to the Grist. Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund will be broadcasting live this Wednesday from the Bud Deck. BK and Ferrario will be there from 11 to 2, and I think T-Bone's making an appearance, so make sure you get your hot dogs before he shows up. And then you got the fast lane from 2 to 6. Get all the Dunctionary Day details now at 101ESPN.com. BT, what's coming up today on the fast lane, buddy? We're going to fix the Cardinals. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we're going to fix them. You making trades again? Like, is Stoltz going to trade everyone? Look, we're going to fix them. Uh, I like it. In a lot of different ways. I like it. So fixing the Cardinals. We'll find out. Four hours of it. Four hours of fixing the Cardinals. It's going to take a while. This team's going to be an all-star team by the time this show's over at 6 o'clock. BT, thanks for stepping in today, buddy. Appreciate Appreciate it. It It was fun. BT, Jamie Rivers, Anthony Stalter, the fast lane coming up next. We'll be back with you tomorrow. BK will be back here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I hope we surprise people and make them happy. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. 
It's our ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed Plus Special Financing, only for a limited time. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.